0: me a go-no-go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was going to say something that was not true.
1: I I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history.
0: We are go for launch.
1: Welcome back, everybody,
2: to the Almost Sideways podcast. Uh, We're so glad you're joining us for our first podcast of 2021. This is episode 107. We are recording this. Sunday, January 3rd, 2021, at about 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. And guys, I wanted to start with something uh, a little different today. Uh, we, uh, we always end our podcasts with trivia, and I'm the one hosting trivia because I was fortunate enough to win for like the first time in a long time. So I thought we could start with a little trivia And then end with trivia still, because we're going to start with some football trivia. Today is the last day of the regular season in the NFL, and I have a little bit of trivia I wanted to start you guys off with. So, hopefully neither of you saw this stat. Derrick Henry became the eighth running back to have 2,000 yards or more in a season today. Let's go back and forth and see if you guys can name the other seven. We're going to start with Zach.
1: Uh, Jamal Lewis.
2: Yes, Jamal Lewis is correct. Todd. Uh,
0: Eric Dickerson.
2: Eric Dickerson is correct.
1: Adrian Peterson.
2: Adrian Peterson is correct. Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson is correct. CJ2K.
1: OJ Simpson.
2: OJ Simpson is correct. Two more. Um...
0: i don't know if i know the other ones i'll say say thurman thomas thurman thomas is incorrect zach do you know the other two
1: uh terrell davis is one of them terrell davis is one of them yes and i don't know the other
2: oh come on sean Alexander.
1: how
2: about barry sanders
0: anybody Barry Sanders. Um, I didn't know that he had 2,000 yards. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I find that weird that everybody, all those guys are between 2,000 and 2,105. It's like, <laughs> nobody can get yeah. that last little bit. If they get it, they just barely get it. Yeah. All
2: right, so let's hear what Todd got two and Zach got four, I think is how it went. So so Zach's got, uh, the, this actually counted. This is part of the game. So Zach's out to a little bit of an early lead here and wow, uh, we'll see who finishes that off uh when we get to trivia later on i thought we'd get the football talk out of the way the football trivia out of the way to start and then we'll do uh we'll do some more when we get to
1: uh when we or get do wait, do movie trivia when we get to Robert wait a sec, trivia. we don't get to talk about john wafford the greatest rams quarterback since since uh, jared goff I don't know man I mean he's he's pretty slippery he might be good for like 130 yards and two interceptions next week I would really look out for that oh and a fumble too like that is some frightening stuff there you guys I mean, gotta the, look Rams, for
2: that. the Rams do have a history of uh of backup quarterbacks winning Super Bowls so with the last Her name Warner. W yeah exactly there
1: you go all right Zach what are you drinking I'm drinking in honor of my beautiful college basketball team that just lost by 25 points at home to Texas (laughs) and Alley Oop Dunkle from Free State Brewery out of LFK. God bless the Jayhawks. Always, always cheering me up on the same day that the Ducks lose by, I I think also about 25 points. (sighs) I'm going to need it. I I need it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Todd, what do you got? I
0: have the Malloy Finest Tradition Irish Whiskey. Just because I haven't had Irish whiskey in a while, and it sounded good, and this is pretty good.
2: Very nice, very nice. All right. I have. We got some leftover holiday beer in the fridge, so I have. This is at a Double Mountain Brewery, which I don't even know where. Oh, Hood River, Oregon. This is their winter ale called Fa La 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 La. So, uh, that's that's what I'm drinking. I I I have to say, I was tempted this. This holiday season, to give Burr another try, I see it at the store, but I, I just can't, I just can't bring myself to bring out the Burr, so yeah, that's never a good idea. No, no, but I've got this one's all right. La la la. Oh, and I opened it with my new. So last week I had my new uh, my new mug built out of a out of a the bat of a, a baseball bat, and uh, that was from my my brother-in-law Mac. And the other half the present was my new bottle opener, which is built out of the barrel of the baseball bat. So uh, he just hooked me up, and it's got it's got Mariners on it because it has to. So beautiful. Here we go. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure that you subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on uh, on pandora on spotify uh subscribe on all of them you know just go download the app i don't even care if you use it at all download the app subscribe just to just so we can get some more uh, some more clicks and some more views all right well let's get into what we've been watching and we are going to start today
0: with the cager todd what was your nicholas cage watch for this week Uh, I decided to watch the 2016 movie The Trust, which is directed by Alex Brewer and Benjamin Brewer. It stars Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood, and they play, like, these nobody cops who are investigating a drug case, and they stumble upon evidence that leads them to this big, massive safe. And so they decide to look for a big score, but it's sort of masqueraded as them, like, trying to get out of the evidence room, like, trying to actually do police work, but... They're actually really corrupt, there's like murders, there's double crosses, all the great like crime movie tropes are on glorious display in this movie, and it's randomly the last screen appearance of Jerry Lewis, he's got like one scene, I'm not really sure why he was in this movie, I didn't even know he was still alive, uh, and uh, it's set in the beautiful city of Las Vegas, even the outskirts make me want to be there, it reminded me of like Fright Night or something, You they ever see like away from the strip in Vegas, but this movie actually makes it look pretty cool. And Nicolas Cage is doing like this weird Sherlock Holmes wannabe thing. Like he maps out the entire layout of the building in chalk behind the police station, just so we get more like immersed in the case. And it's like to scale too. And uh, he has actually kind of takes his role seriously, which is good because it's actually kind of a great movie. He he's got his like gasping laugh going on, like he does in Bad Lieutenant. And Elijah Wood and Nicolas Cage are kind of great together they have like this cackling humor they're really an oddly paired like bestie partner pair um they have like ridiculous banter it looks sort of like a david Iron movie it's always it's really like a, this seedy look with uh, with yellow hue everywhere and i can't say exactly i knew what was going on at all times but sometimes you just don't care it's got like the perfect sequence of events leading up to its conclusion it's exactly my kind of movie it's not it's like almost great but it, at least it is very good It's a high three stars, number 17 on the cager between Joe and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and it's streaming on Pluto TV for free.
1: Needless to say.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) All right. Nice. The trust. The trust. I like it. All right.
1: Zach, you're next. All right. It's your obscure film of the week. Oh, this wasn't too obscure. This is a movie that, okay. t- that Todd has seen. Um, it's, it's a movie that's been appearing on a lot of 2020 best of lists. Um, and uh, it's it's one that, for whatever reason, um, I just hadn't gotten along to see until this week. And that is um, First Cow, directed by Kelly Reichert. Wow. Uh, this is a movie that um, I believe was scheduled for a theatrical release uh, earlier in the year, but really got caught in the midst of the COVID pandemic. Um, but maybe as a result, actually more people were able to see it because it did uh, go on streaming platforms, and now it's sort of a borderline Oscar contender, maybe not a major one, but maybe in the category of screenplay um, because it's such a well-reviewed movie and because so many critics are praising it, and I would definitely join in the praise of this movie. Um, it's fabulous. Uh, this is the story that uh, of uh, two guys in 1820s Oregon, and... Um, when we first meet them, they're both sort of on the run. One of them is a uh, Chinese immigrant who's on the run from this group of Russians, and the other guy is a cook for this kind of band of like, they, they, they're almost like uh, you know the, the cast of The Revenant. They're just like the, the, these uh, countrymen who like uh, get, get in rumbles and have a lot of facial hair. But uh, he doesn't really fit in with them. And so he meets up with this Chinese immigrant who's on a lamb. And together they discover that uh, there's a, this rich guy in town who has a cow. And uh, together they try to uh, milk the cow and get some illicit milk because uh, the main character in it happens to be a great cook. This sounds like such a strange premise to a movie. And it really is. I mean, p- part of the joy this movie is just how un- unusual it really is and in the ways in the unexpected ways that this story uh goes um i thoroughly enjoyed this movie i will say though it, it's not a perfect movie i think it's a little slow in the first half hour if, if you can give it if you can get through the first half hour which i think needs a, a little bit of help with the pacing this is one of the best movies of the year like the stretch from like 35 minutes in to about like an hour and 45 minutes in is absolutely spectacular filmmaking. It lags a little bit at the end, and the end is also a little bit, I I think, unfinished. Kelly Reichert's an amazing filmmaker. I believe three of her movies have been in my top 10 of the year they came out. This will be the fourth. Um, this is a four star movie that uh, I've been thinking about a lot since I've seen it and uh, I, I really can't h- recommend it high enough. I mean it, it, it restores, it, it is what movies should be. I'm sad I didn't see in a theater. It looks like a movie, it feels like a movie, it doesn't feel like Netflix bullshit. It is for real and this movie deserves Oscar attention.
0: Yeah, I, I don't right. like it nearly as much as you. I, I love Kelly Reichardt, but I, I I don't know. This might be her weakest movie. I love Meeks Cut Off, and I love uh, I love Wendy and Lucy and stuff. But I I, don't, I mean I didn't fully get into the movie. I can appreciate it more than I actually liked it. I think.
2: It's one I've been wanting to see, so I'm I'm gonna try and catch that one soon for sure. Um,
1: especially yeah. before
2: we make a top top list of the year.
1: My sense is that it won't get a lot of Oscar attention, and it'll just kind of go maybe unrecognized. But I feel like ten years from now, or maybe twenty years from now, when we appraise Kylie Reichert's career, it will probably be the top film on her list. That it does take that to the bank. That's that's my bet.
2: We'll we'll come back in in uh, in twenty what, years, a couple in twenty years, and uh, and see if what you just said was right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I had um, I finished off my my list of anniversary movies from 2020 this last week. Uh, somehow I got behind one, so I had to watch two this week uh, to get caught up. So I'm going to review two anniversary movies, um, and I'm going to start with. Uh, let's see if you guys can can figure this out. I don't think either of you have seen this one. It was the winner for best foreign film in 2010. Oh. Out of Denmark.
0: So, after like the departures. Wedding? Not after the wedding, Todd. What did you say? Departures. I think it might be the wrong. Year. Nope. No, that's
1: from Japan. Yeah, I don't know.
2: This is called "In a Better World," directed by Suzanne Beyer. Oh yeah. Um, and this movie was absolutely amazing. Uh, it is a story of loss and tragedy and coping with uh coping with just struggles in life and how you handle yourself and how you work through them um it it tells a story of two families that are going through two completely different different ordeals you have uh one family where um where the mother has just died after a long battle with cancer and, uh, and they have a, a young son, probably middle school age. I don't know if they ever really say what age they are. Um, who is lashing out in, in, uh, in anger over over what's happened. And then you have the other family where you have um, the parents are split up. Uh, the dad is not uh, around much. He's part of what has to be like Doctors Without Borders. He's, he's going to Africa a lot and, and running a, a clinic uh, in a third world country there. And, uh, and that son is looking for just someone to connect with some, somewhere to belong. He's, he's a kid who is often bullied and these two become fast friends. And you have the one that wants to belong following the kid who's lashing out in anger as he is beating up the bully and leaving him bloody on the, on a, on the bathroom floor or doing all sorts of other things. And it escalates and escalates and escalates uh, to kind of an insane point, but um, it's, it's such an amazing movie and really gets you thinking. And it, it, uh, it, I don't know. It's just amazingly well done. Um, I'm, I give it four stars. I haven't seen a ton of Suzanne Byers work. Um, I, and I was like, what has she done since then? And apparently she's done a lot. Uh, I I didn't realize just how much she had done um, since uh, since 2010, because she had, um, I guess, the biggest thing, biggest movie she had. She had Serena, which was the Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence follow up after Silver Lang's playbook. She also did Bird Box, um, which I didn't even realize that that was her. And then um, the biggest things that she's done is she did the miniseries The Night Manager and the miniseries The Undoing. So um, and that was just this last year. So she's got a lot of stuff out. She's done a lot of a lot of great work. But uh In a Better World, there's a reason it won the uh the best foreign film in twenty ten. It's a really, really impressive movie and uh and definitely one to one to check out. Neither of you have seen that, right? No. I have not. Well uh when you get a chance, uh it's worth a watch for sure. Okay. So that was that was the, the first one. The second one on my list was nowhere near as good, but it finished it off my list. So this is from 2000, and here's your guessing game. It was nominated for three Oscars, Best Cinematography, Best Original Score, and Best Sound. I'll tell you right now, it probably was nominated for cinematography because it was done by Caleb Deschanel. It was probably nominated for score because it was a John Williams score. I I give up. Oh... This is The Patriot, starring Uh, Mel Gibson. Happy birthday, by the way. I think I saw it's his 65th birthday today, so happy birthday, Mel Gibson. Um, And uh, directed by Roland Emmerich. I was actually kind of shocked when I found out. I always just assumed. I mean, I I looked at The Patriot and said, oh, it's the Revolutionary War uh, Braveheart. Got it. So I just assumed that Mel Gibson directed it, but he didn't. It was Roland Emmerich. Um, Anyways, Mel Gibson and uh, Heath Ledger are the main two. Uh, Jason Isaacs, Chris Cooper uh, show up. Tom Wilkinson shows up. Donald Logue shows up for some reason. Um, Anyways, tells the story of a a soldier who was a veteran of the French and Indian War who is fighting against needing to fight in the Revolutionary War. He doesn't really want to. Heath Ledger plays his son who wants to go off to battle, does go off to battle, and eventually... um, uh, Benjamin Martin is his, is Mel Gibson's character's name. Eventually, he gets coaxed into going and fighting, and he is like this amazing like one man army, that uh, that single handedly is taking out redcoats. Uh, kind of, I mean, you can almost compare him and his band of band of militiamen as almost like Brad Pitt and his Inglorious Bastards. It, I mean, it's almost what it feels like, and how they just kind of run these little side missions on their own and are picking off red coats here and there. Um, I, I want to give this movie three stars. I really do. I mean, it's a two-hour, 45-minute movie that had me engaged the whole time. I was entertained by it. Um, it's corny. It's cheesy. Um, it's historically inaccurate in a lot of places. Uh, but I'm giving it two and a half. I don't know. Talk to me in a week or two. I might bump it up to three. I, but, but I really liked this movie, but I'm like, okay, I liked it. But it's not necessarily a good movie. But I really enjoyed watching it. So, I mean, to hold your attention for two hours and 45 minutes is impressive enough. So, uh, I don't know. Something about those 90s, early 2000s movies, especially the epics like that. They're just fun. And that that's what this was. It was just fun. So, two and a half.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to act like I remember that movie, but I have watched it. <laughs> It kind of blends in with other Mel Gibson movies of the time, like *We Were Soldiers* and whatnot.
2: Oh, I can see that.
0: See, I always just thought of it as it, as
2: it it's like I said. I always thought of it. It's the Revolutionary War *Braveheart*, but I mean, it kind of is. In, in a lot of ways, it is. But uh, yeah. All right, so those that was our first round of of what we've been watching. Now we're gonna look at some um, some more recent movies. Uh, It is the holiday season. A lot of great movies come out right now, and we've been working on getting caught up with all of that. Um, So we're going to go around, kind of like we did last week, go around and talk about some of the ones we've watched. Hopefully there will be some crossover here so we can have some discussion, or kind of like First Cow, where there's one that someone else has seen so we can have a little bit of discussion with it. Um, uh, We've been talking. I don't think we're going to come out with our top ten lists anytime in this month because there's so many movies that none of us have any access to until like late january early february that are still considered 2020 movies because they got that like christmas theatrical release wherever there are still theaters um but um we we watched what we could
0: and that's what we're going to talk about so todd we're going to go to you first uh what what did you watch well, th- this one doesn't exactly qualify with what you were talking about, but it is a 2020 movie, and it is paying off something from like two years ago because this was one of my most anticipated movies of 2018, and it is the War with Grandpa, uh, which is directed oh. by Tim Hill. I finally got it; finally came out on video, so I was able to watch it. It's Tim Hill is director of like the SpongeBob movie and Alvin and the Chipmunks, so this is a step out for him for sure. It's based on a children's book from the 80s. Um, it's about a kid, played by Oakes Fagley, who is Pete and Pete's Dragon in the remake. Uh, and his grandfather is moving in to his house, but he is, they decide to put the grandfather in his room and move him to the attic, and he gets all pissed off. So he starts pulling pranks on his grandfather until eventually they have like an all-out war declaration between them, and they start making the pranks even more mean-spirited and nasty. And the grandfather is, of course, the greatest actor of all time, Robert De Niro. And, um, his buddy is the, his co-star in the greatest movie of all time, uh, obviously Christopher Walken. And the kid's mom is my favorite actress of all time, Uma Thurman. Yes, give me more of this. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you can tell it was one of the most anticipated movies the last few years. Uh, Rob Riggles in it, Jane Seymour, uh, Cheech. There's, like, all these great performers in this, like, really weird kids movie. Uh, it was scheduled for a release originally in 2017, but it was under the umbrella of one of the Weinstein uh, distribution companies, so it was delayed, delayed, and then taken off completely, and then it became one of the biggest movies of the pandemic, which I guess is as good of as you can hope for when it was shelved for so long. Uh, It's not as dumb as Little Fockers, but it's really close in, like, a relationship to it. De Niro's actually sort of digging into his role. There's actually kind of a high war there. The kid is appealing and he, sh- he should be like a Jacob Tremblay type in the future. Walk-In, I don't think is capable of acting anymore. Rob Riggle fits into this universe the best, I think. Uh, the movie isn't that bad. Uh, you can make fun of it, but it's actually kind of fun. Uh, it's kind of charming, and there are actually plans for a sequel. And yeah, I'm all over that shit. Two and a half stars.
2: Nice. Wow. I saw the trailer, and it did look fun. So are y- so was this movie like in the can for three years, or was it delayed and then finally got shot?
0: Oh, no, it was it was shot and was going to be released in 2017. It was delayed until 2018. That's when we did, like, our m- most anticipated the rest of the year. And I had it on there, and you guys were like, is he trolling us or whatever? No, I actually really <laughs> wanted to see it, because <laughs> I finally got the, the DVD.
2: Perfect, perfect. I almost went and saw that uh, it was playing at the at the drive-in theater right, right around where I live. I,
0: so. I almost went to go see it when it was in theaters, too, but... I couldn't bring myself quite that far to make that one of the like exclusive movies that I had the small window watch movies in.
1: Perfect, perfect. All right. Yeah, it's it, it, so I'm looking at it right now. It does that thing with its poster that like um you know that Seth Rogen movie Longshot did, where it like clearly photoshops two different scenes from the movie together, so it looks like they're one image, which is you know always a great sign with a uh, DVD cover art. All right, Zach, you are
2: next. Tell us about the next movie you watched this week.
1: Okay, so uh, I watched the first uh, two episodes of Small Axe. The I don't know. I would, is this a movie? Is this a TV series? I, I don't know really what it is, but it is a thing that is out there on Amazon that is brought to you uh, by Steve McQueen. Brought to us by Steve McQueen, uh, the uh, director of Twelve Years a Slave and Hunger. And uh, I was a big fan of those movies, and I'm a big fan so far of Small Axe. A lot of people have said that the first two episodes are the two best episodes, so I still plan on watching the other three, but um, I'll I'll tell you a little bit about the first two. The first episode is called Mangrove, which is the true story of a group called uh, the Mangrove Nine. Um, By the way, you know, if you don't know, Small Axe is set in um, England in the 1970s and early 80s, and it really profiles... Um, the uh, African-British community, um, specifically um, people of Caribbean descent who uh, are living in the West End of London during that time. And uh, Mangrove is the first episode. It's also the longest. It tells the true story of this, uh, this group of West, West End Londoners um, of Caribbean descent. Uh, and they are, uh, the, the main character's name is Frank Crishlow and he is the owner of the mangrove restaurant, which is a sort of a hangout, a dive that is frequently raided by the police for no other reason than racial prejudice and discrimination. And so, um, when, uh, the community kind of rises up and leads a protest against the police, the, the police find a way to arrest them and put them onto trial. And, uh, at the center of it is this Frank Crishlow character played by Sean, uh, Parks, and he's a little bit like Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca at first. He's sort of like indifferent a little bit. Um, he, you know, he wants his restaurant to operate without the police interference, but um, he's not necessarily committed to uh, a cause. Uh, until the movie kind of gradually, um, goes and he, you kind of see the injustice that is being perpetrated against, um, not just his restaurant, but also the community. Um, I think, uh, there is a, an Academy Award, um, worthy performance by, uh, Malachi Kirby as Darkest How, who is one of the, um, lead, uh, kind of protesters and what's kind of cool about the trial without giving too much away is that the defense opts to have um self-representation there's a lot of parallels in this movie between um this this movie and the trial of chicago 7 and the courtroom scenes in this movie felt a lot uh, more real um in part because they weren't Famous people that were on trial. It wasn't like a cause celeb. These were all just ordinary um people who had these this grave injustice um against them. And so um and, and the trial isn't quite uh, the spectacle as the same, as the trial in in, in uh, Chicago Seven. Um I love this movie. This is a four star movie. The second the second uh, episode in uh uh small acts is called Lovers Rock. And it is the it is about as different um, a story as you could make. Um, it is uh, about a basically a, a night, uh, uh, a house party that happens over the course of one night. And again, it's the same sort of community, but completely different characters. This time, it's you know it's not really about police raids. It's more of just this kind of microscopic um, look almost, you know, it's almost a metaphor for um, the, this community in the sense that, you know, you see a lot of race and and gender and, and class dynamics that play out at this house party. But with this really cool um, Afro-Caribbean beat with a lot of dancing, um, a lot of characters, you don't necessarily know their names, but they really stick out to you kind of like you're at the house party. Um, it's it's an hour and 10 minutes. It doesn't feel like a full film, but it feels much more like an experience. And it is awesome. Um, you know, I, I love Steve. I love what Steve McQueen has done here in the past. He's been uh, criticized, maybe somewhat fairly, for sort of inserting his own sort of aesthetic agenda into his movies instead of just kind of sitting back and letting the action happen more organically. And in both of these episodes, I think he does that. But it, there's still a lot of stylistic um, exuberance, uh, particularly in *Lovers Rock*, and it's a it's a pretty profound experience to watch. I love it. I can't wait to watch the next three. This series has been compared to the Decalogue in some respects, in the sense that it's capturing a time and place, but not necessarily a singular narrative thread um i'm super impressed and i don't know if this movie will get nominated for oscars but uh it's it's so far um worth worth the while
0: well it can't because it's now uh, eligible for emmys that's what amazon decided so it's not oscar eligible at all
1: well on the one hand and, and screw it... amazon but on the other hand i'm glad that amazon has been able to put it out otherwise i don't know if i ever would have seen it
0: yeah i've seen the first three episodes uh i i somewhat disagree with mangrove like i don't i think that's the only one so far that's like a full movie but it's like it's like chicago 7 meets detroit and those are two movies i didn't like but it takes the parts that i did like about them and puts them together and so it's a really just solid courtroom drama it's i don't think it's like revolutionary in any way it's not a four-star movie it's more like a high three stars but lovers rock is something pretty special and I, i thought that was more it kind of reminded me of Days of Confused, especially, like, how, how it how it ends and stuff. Like, it really is just, like, this look into this spe- very specific community, and uh, you just sort of live with them for a while, and it's, like, filled with reggae and blues, and um, the everything about that movie is just really cool, and uh, it definitely is an experience, but it doesn't really necessarily feel like a movie. That's where it sort of feels episodic. The third one isn't very good. There's, like, no ending to the third one, but, uh, yeah, so far, I, I, I like it a lot, too, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the last two episodes. Well,
2: I've seen all five, and that was one of the things I was going to talk about. So, um, I, I agree with Zach on Mangrove. Um, I, I'm like three and a half, four star, right on the border there. Um, I, I think it definitely. I like the comparison. It's Child of the Chicago Seven meets Detroit. That's that's a really good comparison there. Yeah, but those are two um, movies
0: you love, so of course you love this movie. But I don't right, think right. It's, it's saying anything that that different.
2: True, true, and and uh, but I think I think it does it in a in a different way. Uh, I, I really like, I, I love the strategy of having them represent themselves and having them be able to, uh, to actually cross-examine. cross-examine some of, some of the witnesses is pretty cool.
0: Um, I, I would say, the, I, I love the, 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 I love the, uh, the judge, like, cause in, in Chicago seven, they completely villainized the judge, but that judge, I actually understood what he was, do- what what he what he was doing. I think that guy was actually a really deep character and it it wasn't just treated as like, he was the enemy of everybody.
2: Right. Well I mean and but the thing to remember about both those movies too, about Chicago Seven and about Mangrove is I mean these are real trials that happened and they have court right. records of exactly what was said and a lot of the dialogue I'm sure is drawn from that in Mangrove like it was in
1: Chicago Seven.
2: I um, think another I will important. say I
1: I right, was go just going to add, Terry. Another important distinction, though, I would also say between the two movies is like the Chicago Seven, we even talked about it in our review. Like, that has been um, a story that's been told and retold in many different iterations. Mangrove is not a historical episode I had any knowledge of. And I think what Steve McQueen, I, I, I would assume this is not a particularly well known episode in British history. So, um, it, it, but an important one. And I think that's one of the, the, the valuable things that this, this series um, ca- captures is a time period and a uh population of people who are oftentimes underrepresented and marginalized in movies so i i appreciated it certainly for that aspect
2: yeah i i agree with that, that that's a really good point so todd and i did talk and we decided that we were going to consider this five movies right todd yeah yeah uh so anyways i will say i i need to revisit it but I'm going to disagree with you guys about lovers rock, especially after mangrove and the intensity of it. I, I was really kind of let down by lovers rock. I mean, it, it's, it's got such a completely different vibe. Um, and, and you're right. It's just, it's more of an experience, but I, I don't know. I was having trouble getting drawn into it. So to me, lovers rock is like two and a half to three stars somewhere in there. Um, I will say one of my favorite parts is red, white, and blue, which is the third part that Todd hated. Um, I really I really thought that was that was pretty profound John boyega gives an amazing performance as a as a police officer um, who gave up being a, a, like a research scientist and uh, like and decided to try and make a difference of being a police officer I think it does it does what I wanted black Klansmen to do like it does better uh, it does what Black Klansmen wanted to do, but better. Um, And so I, I just, I love that part. He gave a great performance, like I said, and you're right. It doesn't really have an ending. And I kind of like that though, because it, it just, it's just kind of, it, it hammers home what a lot of, what this is, what this whole series is. And that is, this is their experience. I mean, Mangrove, honestly, Mangrove is the only one that has an ending. So, um, but I I, I I really liked red, white, and blue. What didn't you like about it, Todd?
0: I mean I I, I didn't I didn't I don't know, I, I didn't see how how special like the story was necessarily. I mean I get that it was probably an important thing, but like Zach said, these aren't like well known people, so he could just be like choosing any random story out of the out of that police department. I don't know, but I think John Boyega thinks he's Denzel Washington. They even shoot him like he, they do, like he's Denzel. He, he's, he's good. He's got, got a really fiery personality. But I, 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 think that movie was just a little bit more, like self-appreciatory than, than actually interesting to watch.
2: Oh, I was fascinated by it. I like that. That's a four-star part for me. My second favorite part. Um, my, my least favorite part was episode four. And I'm just gonna keep going because this is one of the things that I was gonna review. So I'm just gonna keep going, and talk about the other ones. Um, my least favorite part was episode four, Alex Weedle. Um, and it's the based on the true story of the author, award-winning author, Alex Weedle, and uh, his kind of upbringing. Um, the story's kind of all over the place, and it's really hard to get into. It's hard to figure out what they're trying to say and how they're trying to tell it and what's happening when, and there's a lot of flashbacks and and to different time periods and things like that. You guys will see when you see it. Um depending on how, you know, we've been talking about it, you probably will like Alex Wheat a lot more than I did. But I I had trouble getting into that one. My favorite part was the last part, education. Uh, which tells a story of a young boy named Kingsley who, uh who is uh sent to a special education school because he is struggling in, in his classes, he's acting out. And the reality is he's just kind of been falling through the cracks of his classes and in a system that is set up to fail um, these, uh, these black kids that are in these London schools. And it's a fight against the system to try and help, um, help bring these kids up to par instead of sending them off to the school to just forget about them for the rest of their lives so that it's just a repetitive cycle of no education, no education, Menial work. No education, menial work. Um, this one, and maybe it's the teacher in me, but I found this part extremely powerful. It's the part that probably also ends the most hopeful of any of the parts. Um, the the kid, uh, Kenya Sandy, is incredible um, and gives an, an amazing performance. Funny enough, he's done two movies. Uh, he, he's been in two movies ever. And I watched both of them on the same day. Uh, and I didn't even realize I was going to do that. I watched Education in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I watched the uh, the Netflix original musical Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey with my kids. And they loved it. And, I, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, hey, that's Kingsley. He's in this movie. I didn't know that. Uh, but he gives a great performance in Education. It's my favorite part. If, so if I'm ranking them, I go Education, Red, White, and Blue, uh, Mangrove, Lover's Rock.
0: And then, uh, Alex Weedle. So these are like three of your top ten movies, potentially, if you're giving three star movies.
2: Potentially, yeah. Yeah,
0: if if potentially
2: these are, these are going to be three of my top ten. Um, and, and and it's, it's all Steve McQueen. I mean, he's, he's a master. He doesn't put out much stuff, but when he puts it out, it's really good. Was Um, Widows really good? I still need to see Widows. I actually haven't, haven't watched it yet. I tried watching it at one point and, um, and it was one of those nights where I wasn't going to stay awake for anything. And I watched like 20 minutes and fell asleep. But, um, Widows was a I need to get back to that one and try it again. Okay. That's the one. Well, I need to try it again. But he's been, he's been great. I mean, hunger and shame and 12 years a slave is I'm uh, the pinnacle. And then this, I find it really interesting that they put these five together and the order they put them in, I thought was, is fascinating too. Um, and, and how they how they decided this is the order that you're gonna that you should watch them in. I thought that was interesting.
0: Well and the only ones that are getting any real notoriety are the first two. So I mean they, they probably tried true. to front load it so you kept going.
2: that's very true. Well and, and I found it fascinating, so we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I think it was LA Film Critics gave best picture to small acts, like the whole thing. But then it gave like Runner-up best score to I think it was Lovers Rock. So it, it it depending on the category they considered it as one or as five.
0: Well, it's probably they just wanted to to uh uh they wanted to recognize it and too many people voted for different episodes probably for best picture and then they're just like all right we'll just say that this is our number one. I bet I bet that's what they did.
2: I will say I wish all five parts were fully flushed out hour and a half to two hours like Mangrove is. Like, like, I feel like, like, as, like but it was a series. He he
0: made it. He wanted it te- like he wanted it to be a miniseries. Like that's how he designed it. But then he realized Mangrove was good enough to be two hours, and then he's like, okay, I'll try to extend these. But at least that's what I've read.
2: Oh, okay, that's interesting. All right, yeah, it's kind of funny to call it a like education is an hour three minutes. It's sixty three minutes long, but it, it it it's some of the best stuff I've seen all year. So. The whole series is some of the best stuff I've seen.
1: The real question is, is the house party in Lover's Rock better than the house party in Superbad? And that is a deep and profound <laughs> question that I don't think we have a real answer to. But I do think um, it, it's worthy of the house party in Superbad. There, there's there's some some yeah. crazy antics at both parties.
0: That is true. I hadn't thought about that. There is a lot of similarities.
2: (laughs) There's another house party scene coming up in Alex Weedle because one of the things that he does in his, uh, in, in the story is he MCs a little bit. So, uh, so you get a little bit of, uh, of another house party later on. All right. Well, that, that was a deep dive we weren't expecting to take, but that was fun. Small acts. Definitely check it out. All five episodes on prime video right now. Uh, Todd, what else did you watch this week?
0: On a different note, uh, (laughs) I watched the probably Golden Globe juggernaut uh, The Prom, directed by Ryan Murphy. Ah. And it is about a conservative Indiana town uh, that draws the attention of these aging, struggling Broadway stars when a lesbian girl isn't allowed to bring her girlfriend to The Prom, so they just shut down The Prom completely. So they traveled to Indiana to try to start a fight. Uh... And uh, Which seems noble, but the real goal is to just get good press because they just got shit on on their last uh, musical review. Uh, I love Ryan Murphy. I, I've seen every episode of American Horror Story. I American Crime Story is a bit as good as TV gets. I, I even watched Feud Betty and Joan, and I love Scream Queens. I have not seen his other movie, Running With Scissors. And maybe that's a good thing. I, I feel like this is really similar to when I reviewed Uncle Frank last week. This is a a, a filmmaker who's better at television and long form than he is that actually making movies. This movie is not for me, but it is pretty reprehensible. It's really <laughs> tough to be around these characters for two hours. Uh, the songs are bad. It thinks it's hairspray, but it's not, it's more like old people trying to do glee. Uh, M- Meryl is the main Broadway star and she's charming, but she's just like goofing off the whole time. James Corden is uh, just terrible. Nicole Kidman just like randomly shows up and that is good enough. I guess, uh, Kerry Washington is an interesting character. She plays the head of the PTA and one of the lesbian girl's uh, mothers. Uh, she she actually does something interesting with her role. Uh, Andrew Rennells is in it. He was one of the guys in The Boys in the Band, and he takes the least seriously, but he also is sort of one of the highlights of the movie, which is kind of odd. Keegan-Michael Key is randomly in this, too, as Meryl's love interest, and that pretty much tells you all you need to know about the movie. The main girl looks like she walked out of Enchanted, uh... I don't know, I, I think she probably should do animated musicals more often, but uh, she has a good voice, but she's not really an actress. The the characters are unbearable, the songs are over the top, and political and prejudiced and mean-spirited toward an entire population of people. It's so, like, close-minded, it's kind of offensive. It's way too long, it's hard to sit through. It's probably gonna win Golden Globes for, in, like, at least three categories. I hated this movie, and what it is trying to say, and how it says it, I'm giving it a half a star. Wow.
2: I almost watched that one
0: too, but I didn't. You might like it. I mean, (laughs) it does seem more Terry's speed. I love that. Well, it is funny that
2: all the stuff that you said about Ryan Murphy that you've seen and loved. One of the things you haven't seen is Glee, which is one of the few things I have seen and I loved it. So.
0: Yeah, well, his television is is great. But, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched Glee because that really isn't my thing, even probably more than this.
2: (laughs) That's true. Very true. I don't think you would... Yeah, Glee is not your thing.
1: (laughs) I love how Todd's review was basically just one long, implicit condemnation of the Golden Globes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's Pretty much, yeah. Like, Meryl's totally winning Best Actress in a Musical. You know when Nicole Kidman's getting nominated for Supporting, it's going to probably win Best movie, comedy, musical. It's got at least two or three songs that are probably getting nominated. I, but I mean that doesn't mean it's good. That just means it's golden globes.
2: Tying yeah. back to something we talked about last week, I saw someone tweeted out something that said, um uh hearing Graham Norton in uh in soul is what happens when you don't cast James Corden in a movie.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Zach, did you have something? Oh, I was just going to say, I think I read somewhere that, and um, this is somewhat related, but Sylvie's Love, which is a movie I also watched this week, I don't want to review it, but that's getting pushed for um, comedy musical, in the comedy musical category of the Gold yeah, did, did I read that, that right? Too. Which is ridiculous, because it's neither a comedy nor a musical. Um, it's about musicians, but um, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, a, 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 you know, t- just a, a terrible misrecognition of what the movie is.
0: Well, it's like when they put Ray as a comedy musical. It's like, no, don't do that anymore. (laughs) They normally stop doing that. (laughs) I mean,
2: mean, they they need to take the musical part out of that and just go comedy.
0: Yeah, because when a star is born, which is more of a musical, isn't is considered drama. Then you just I mean, you're just making things up at that point.
2: Well, and like, and like Judy was, was up for drama, not comedy musical. And Bohemian Rhapsody was up for drama, not comedy. Like, it's basically come down to this is a way to get stuff like The Prom, Golden Globe Love. That's really what it, what it's ha- what's happened. So,
1: yeah. There's a lot of stuff the Globes need to fix. <laughs> Sylvie's Love was about as funny as The Martian. That's my review. My one-sentence review. The Martian was, had some comedy
0: to
2: it, but it, yeah, it didn't deserve to be in comedy musical. I think my favorite comment on all, on that whole category thing at Golden Globes was when Jack Nicholson won for About Schmidt in for Best Actor Drama. And he got up there and said, I don't know whether to be uh, honored or offended because I thought we made a comedy.
0: You could probably say <laughs> that about Sideways, too. Or yeah. Andy Alexander Payne. <laughs>
1: All right, Zach, well, what are you reviewing? Okay, well, well my last review, this is our last round, right? So uh, Yes, last the la- So uh, my last film is a movie that has um, a, cur- a total of five votes on IMDb and has a budget of $270 and um, is a movie that is, has been reviewed by two critics so far. I randomly found it on Amazon one night and it is called Strummer. And um, I, I chose it purely based on the poster, which reminded me a little bit of like the poster for Nebraska and Eraserhead. It's kind of like black and white, it looks kind of artsy and different. Um, it tells the story of an aimless um, guy in his, I think, late late 20s, and his name is Travis. And as the movie opens, he's just scrolling on Tinder looking for girls to hit up and the movie is shot completely it's in black and white it's shot using just a a stable stabilized camera on a tripod there's no tracking shots in this movie at all it's it's like dirt cheap but basically the first half hour of this movie is just girls that he hooks up with it's not explicit or anything but it just kind of shows like some awkward like bedroom banter especially like post-coital it's it's very kind of funny and sort of like it's indie sort of it's a clear like you know this guy's influenced by like Jim Jarmusch and some early Kevin Smith stuff it's like you know this this movie's all right but as it goes along it kind of like is sort of infectious and as as it goes along um, the main character meets this other character named Daphne who's played by Emily Fremgen Fremgen, ah. and uh, they sort of start developing not just a sexual relationship but um, he finds out that she's a musician and Actually, that causes some problems in their relationship because she's very, like, touchy about the music that she writes. And and pretty much their relationship shifts from being a sexual one to one based on a musical partnership. Um, But honestly, there's not a whole lot of plot in this movie. A lot of it is just kind of these uninterrupted exchanges in the bedroom between Travis and his various paramours. I love this movie I just I was holding my breath waiting for this movie to fail it is so cheap it's so unpolished it looks so unscripted and yet I found it so charming and it was a reminder to me that once upon a time before Netflix ever existed we had independent filmmakers who you know scrape the bottom of the barrel for their own money and for their own resources cast themselves in the movie like this guy does Cody Clark the, the writer and director and star and you know what It's sort of cinematic magic. I I mean, I'm I'm sure a lot of people will watch this movie and just think, oh my gosh, this is just amateur trash. But I kind of loved it. And I think there's sort of a beauty to um, the message of this movie, which is very much about the aimlessness um, of almost the COVID era. It's not explicitly set in the COVID era, but it might as well be in the sense of how isolated these characters are from one another. Um, it's a solid three and a half star movie that um, no one will ever see. But you know what? If you're if you're out there one night, you're looking for something that no one has ever seen, and it's on Amazon. Just just check it out because it's awesome. And that's why I told Todd to do. Yeah. And...
0: Yeah. Well, two of those five votes are me and Zach, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I I I'm with Zach on this. Like, I, I love this movie too. Like, it's just so laid back. It's got that like slacker vibe, the like the early Richard Linklater kind of thing. But like, I don't know. It, it it seems it seems like a throwback, but it also seems modern. And it it's just it's just different. I've never seen something that just is so relaxed, like telling the telling its story and telling it with such limited resources. And I don't know. I mean, I like the character a lot. I mean, there's a lot of like douchebags and karens and um uh, and, and, and people in this movie but i mean that just kind of adds to the charm like it doesn't spend too much time on any one scene it has some really cool musical numbers and yeah it's a, it, yeah it is a three and a half star movie i agree
2: so do i have to be vote number six
0: i, th- I think you, you, I mean, do Terry. you should be Okay. I mean, there's when there's I voted, it still said no votes, so or it still said not enough votes to count, and so I was number five.
2: <laughs> I, I was gonna, I was gonna say, Zach. The one thing I'll disagree with you on is when you said a lot of people are going to see this and think this, and I'll, I'll disagree. Not a lot of people are going to see it because it's got five votes on IMDb.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, well, that's well, It is streaming, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know why. Like this movie. Okay. So also, this movie apparently is a sequel um to a movie called shredder that this guy made 10 years earlier which i think i i I went on a deep dive of this guy after i saw the movie i gotta be honest i like checked out his youtube page he's got all these kind of short films that he's made for like zero dollars but i you know i I give him props like he's he's putting stuff out there and um again the format todd you know todd put it he's got less youtube subscribers than we do though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that I mean, yeah, the, the guy is making content for that the love of something. movies. He does not care if people click like and subscribe. Like, he couldn't give two shits about that. He's making something that is artistic and ki- and, and vaguely vulgar and also kind of beautiful. And I love it. There, I, I want, well, I want, there's I a want line this guy in that movie to where do you... more stuff
0: where he's like standing in front of his movies and he's like, yeah, I like movies. I like movies because movies are good and I like them or something. That's almost <laughs> a direct quote. And I think that that pretty much describes his career <laughs> and maybe this podcast. I was going to say, I think that
2: describes this <laughs> podcast as well. Uh, all, all I have to say in response to that is, uh, make sure that you, uh, subscribe to, uh, our YouTube channel as well. Uh, I forgot to mention that up at the, up at the top, but, uh, The more subscribers, the better on YouTube. And then Twitter. Make sure you follow us on
1: Twitter as well because, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So when I texted Todd to see this movie, he pointed out that Cody Clark's previous credit is called Coronavirus, I Don't Like This
0: he also <laughs> yeah, has something
1: called coronavirus stand-up comedy special so like you know he's like he's like a fassbender he's like putting out a new movie every two weeks you know he, he he's impressive man i mean you know we put out content but like he, we he, he's one-upping us man cody clark if you're out there you got two fan two of your five fans are here man put, put out more stuff we'll watch it we want the coronavirus stand-up special
2: we, we, we need, need to interview guy guy on the podcast. podcast yeah that's what i was gonna I, say I, I think that's our next step <laughs> i think we could i think we can make this happen i mean we, we could deep dive any movie he wants <laughs> we we could we could double his ratings on on imdb i mean
0: <laughs> if we get him over a thousand there we go saying yes
1: seven. five oh, that's amazing Five boats, and 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 this is so much better than the prom, right? And the prom, what, has been seen by millions of people. Like that's the that's the beauty of movies, is that you can get um, something that's shot for two hundred dollars, probably over three di- three days, and it's so much better than the prom, so much better than any of the bullshit that comes out. Like that's that's why we go to the movies. It, Strummer is why we go to the movies. Put that on on the beautiful Nebraska esque poster.
2: There
1: you go, Zach Salt's almost sideways.
2: This is why you go to the movies. <laughs> i love it i love it cool all right uh all right the last one that i'm going to review is about as polar opposite of uh of strummer as you could possibly get because i'm reviewing wonder woman 1984 uh which i finally caught last night um and i agree almost completely with what todd said on the last podcast this is great it's so much fun (laughs) And and all right, I will say I'm a sucker for a good comic book movie. Like I, I like those more than most, most of our, uh, mo- well, much more than you guys do. And so maybe it was the fact that I was just starved for a good comic book movie. Like the comic book choices this year are this and Birds of Prey, and I was not a fan of Birds of Prey.
0: Well, you like this, uh, Project Power and that other one that we reviewed, right? Right. I mean, those are, yeah. Those are sort of comic bookish.
2: Yeah. Um, but I mean, this—it's got a solid premise, and every—if you think about like the arc of most of the comic book like franchises, the second movie is always like you, you the first movie is the origin story, and the second movie is the—the the identity crisis. Am I really supposed to be this? Is this who I'm really supposed to be? And that's what—that's what, that's what uh, Diana runs into here. What—what's more important? her, her personal life, or, uh, her saving the world, and and she's gotta she's gotta undergo that struggle that every superhero goes through, and uh, and I think it's great I think it's fun that it's set in the mid '80s and it kind of plays it up a little bit but I don't think it plays it up to a ridiculous point, um, and I honestly I'll never I'll never argue with being able to watch Gal Gadot on the screen for two and a half hours. Uh, Kristen Wiggs' character is really interesting. Pedro Pascal, I, I really I really found his character fascinating, uh, and and what he was trying to do. Um, I will say I thought the ending was a little bit of a cop out, but it, it it works and and it 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 makes it all nice and neat and everything. Uh, but no, I'm giving it three stars. Uh, Todd said it was better than the first one. I don't know about that. I I really come to appreciate the first one rewatching it a couple times since it first came out um but I, I think i think what this one does is it legitimizes the wonder woman franchise as by far the best thing the dceu has done to this point um which isn't really saying much but it's the best thing that the dceu has done i mean if you're comparing it to like man of steel and batman versus superman and suicide squad and justice league Wonder Woman is by far the best that it, it's uh, it's been. So it's not comparing it to much, but it's something. So three stars for Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty
0: four. I'm glad you agree, and don't you think it's it's like a Spider Man movie? It's got that sort of playfulness, and it's got like a total Bond villain. Like that, that's what I kept thinking. I was like, there's nothing about this that I shouldn't be liking.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm, do people just like expect like the DC movies to be the Marvel movies because they're so different? And and I think what they're going for with this is a little bit more camp, which is always what the DC movies have been. A dark a darkness with campiness. Like if you think back to like Tim Burton Batman, that's what that's what they are. And and this has a little bit of campiness to it, and that's okay. Just roll with it and have fun with it. I don't understand why people are hating on this movie so much. It makes no sense.
0: I don't get it either. Did did you see the uh the monster-esque like relationship between them in the beginning, or did or did that was that completely over your head? <laughs> yeah, I, I was not, I was not going to, to see see a monster relationship. Okay, there. well, not not really. No, on a rewatch, you will see it.
1: I knew the moment Todd <laughs> invoked monster in his review, he was going to give it thumbs up.
0: <laughs> uh, the question is, which one was Eileen Warnos? That that's. Oh, of of course. Wonder Woman is I oh, Okay. Okay. The unsure of herself, like really shy fan almost, uh, persona is uh, the. Uh, cheetah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and th- so this is this is monster if, Christina Ricci had also become a serial killer. That's true. <laughs> conspiracy uh, theory. Conspiracy theory. You're not going to hear analysis like that anywhere else here, folks. Uh, all right, so the, that's what we've been watching. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff out there. Uh, make sure you check out uh, the good stuff, like Strummer and Small Axe. And if you haven't watch make
0: sure you watch Wonder Woman. I did, mean, it's, did you
1: it's know? HBO did you make Max. that comment, Todd? Because Patty Jenkins directed both, or was that just a total like coincidence?
0: Well, I well I. I said that I thought that she had developed that kind of thing that she did in Monster. I mean, I don't know if I would have necessarily thought of that initially if she hadn't directed both. Because I just
1: realized she directed both. That was like a mind-blowing connection there. That was like... Yeah, I just realized that too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Also, Patty Jenkins...
0: Apparently that didn't get get across in the first time.
2: (laughs) And wasn't Wonder Woman her first movie since Monster?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. so. She's
0: been working in TV and stuff. Patty Jenkins so, is a so, graduate of the
1: high school that I teach at, by the way.
0: <clears throat> oh, that's fascinating. Okay.
2: All right. We just talked about a whole lot of movies, and now it's time to move on into... I mean, Honestly, this is one of my favorite things that we do, and it's our Power Rankings
0: you can't top that yeah that's the movie about the horse
2: i'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here that's because i haven't seen it power rankings
0: not including fargo can't choose fargo ever again
2: uh and it's been a little while since or it's been a couple weeks but now we are out of 2020 we're into 2021 and i gotta say i had a lot of fun making this list simply because I didn't feel like I was bound to the 2010s. Like, we spent all last year almost exclusively doing all-decade lists, and now I can look past 2010. And it was so nice to actually expand beyond beyond just the last decade in, in looking at something. So, if I remember right, last time, we decided that Zach and Todd tied uh, on our game that we play of Guessing Adam's List. So, you kind of...
1: We collaborated together
2: one. yeah you tag team to come up with so it took a lot of effort really yeah this really crazy interesting fascinating uh topic that we have here so what are we
0: doing the only thing that i put forth was that <laughs> it has to be something that terry is not going to be able to just copy off some other list. that so he has just to do the work <laughs> <laughs> hey i rarely ever do that.
2: I'll, I'll look at a list for like inspiration, but I don't actually. Oh, just copy. Okay. <laughs> and it How made dare out this you?
0: impossible too.
1: <laughs> so impossible. Okay. So what are we doing? Well, the ca- the category is most unwarranted or unjustified killings in movies. So characters who or die. TV. Or TV or one video game, but it can't be number one. Exactly. Yeah. So a character who dies unjustifiably, preferably one who's killed because, you know, a heart attack doesn't quite have the sexiness as a gun to the head. And yeah. like
0: the stipulation I sort of was putting on it was that it has to be somebody who is somewhat involved in the uh, involved in something. Like it can't just be like some somebody who just dies or, like, uh, the main character, who obviously, like, yeah, they they don't deserve to die because they're a good person or something like that. Who, Like, yeah. That's okay. somebody who's somewhat involved in, like, some sort of bad. At least that's the, that's the way I, I looked at it. I definitely
2: See, did not uh, follow yeah. that.
0: <laughs>
2: well, and then I thought of it, I mean, you, you have a little bit of that, but uh, there's definitely those characters that you run across that you go, well, that didn't need to happen and so i wasn't necessarily thinking that i was thinking more of a okay yeah i understand where the story is going but why did you have to kill that person why did you have to kill that character that that doesn't that doesn't help so i i, I was i was texting todd today to get specifications and so todd told me it had to be like intentional death like it, it couldn't be like i asked him all right what about like a car accident would that would that qualify and he goes no, no. it wouldn't qualify because that—that's. No, I agree. It, it, yeah. So it had to be like like someone being being intentionally killed or murdered, something like that. Yes. Or or like in a battle, like some some something
1: along those lines. Okay. Uh, See, this I will is why just we had to tag team it because we had you know eight million stipulations on it.
2: Yeah. So I'll just throw <laughs> this out there right now. Uh, spoiler alert. I, mm. the, the, <laughs> there's gonna be spoilers popping up all over this probably for each other a little bit in some of the stuff that we're going to be looking at okay so with all of that said <laughs> we're gonna go to Zach first number five
1: all right Todd, Todd's gonna hate my list because I completely did not do anything that Todd said my characters are, are not necessarily important to the story at all I just thought you know I didn't think it was necessary that they died but you know whatever
0: well, I know but they have to they, like there's got I don't know <laughs> it can't it can't just be like some person who was randomly killed in a movie or something like that that doesn't make any sense well like, okay even... so
1: so well the, the, my number five is a good case study in that um was this person person significant to the story quite possibly how many lines did they have in the movie zero but they were still an important part to the scene that they were in and that is richard schiff yes richard schiff the guy from the west wing as the train driver in Speed. So, you know, you got to think about it <laughs> at the end of the movie, right? And you know what? They're they, the, the bus is blown up. They're in the subway. And Dennis Hopper is like, you know, are these seats taken? You know, he's bringing in like the bomb and Sandy is all covered in the dynamite or whatever. And then you got this innocent like train driver guy. He's, he's driving the train and he's like, Westwood one. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he, what's he supposed to do? He, he can't just leave the radio, you know, unanswered. So he picks up the radio and then Dennis Hopper says, hey. I'll take it from here. And then he shoots him and laughs diabolically like uh, like angels with dirty faces or something. It's a total unjustifiable death. And I also just want to point out that it is Richard Schiff, who I did not realize until maybe my viewing about five years ago that Richard Schiff was the train driver. That, to me, is really fascinating. Um, but yeah, an un- unjustifiable, unnecessary death in-, in that movie, even more so than Jeff Daniels.
0: See, I don't Todd know. Hates I don't that know pick. that that really implies. Like, implies, I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> he
0: didn't need to kill I, I him. Thought, I thought, at minimum, the person needed to be like a douchebag. It's, I mean, it's got to be someone that kind of like probably deserved to die, but they didn't deserve. What? To die, no,
2: you know? this is undeserved to die list. No. Yeah, that 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 makes no sense, Todd.
0: <laughs> That's not what. Okay. Well, I mean, I was right. looking at more of like a variation on our uh, uh, on our uh, our sympathetic villains list or something. Honestly, oh, no, no, I no, just don't know looked...
2: no. this, this that that is the exact opposite of what I was thinking.
0: Well, see, but okay. So the examples <laughs> we came up with that were the inspiration for the list were Lewis and Jackie Brown, who obviously yes. was a bad guy and does probably deserved to die, but not didn't really deserve to die. And Gale, who was involved Gale in from the, Breaking Bad. Yeah, he was in, he was definitely involved in in, in uh, the antagonist plot, but he I he probably didn't deserve to die. No, that's but what was I was looking a, at. But what, what, but
2: at no point do you say Gale is a bad guy. I mean, Gail. is just—he's just, he's just okay, doing whatever. his job. Okay, whatever. Okay, we'll just
0: go with our list. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. I I,
2: I looked sense. at it more more as you know, you're going through and and there's like there there's like that that lovable minor character. Like this is perfect for my number five because I'm going next. The lovable <laughs> minor character that you're like, why did he have to? Why why did he have to be the collateral damage in in the in how this thing pulled all works itself out so my number five is my one television uh submission and that is hodor from the game of thrones why did hodor have to die he didn't have to die i mean you you get this big reveal about what about hodor and why he is hodor and why it all why that's all he can say but he's he's like the the lovable side character and all of a sudden he has to like sacrifice himself to save the Three-Eyed Raven. Um, and i it's not... It, you just go, why, Hodor? Why did you have to go? I mean, I know the show kills everybody. And we <laughs> could have just made this, if Todd had actually seen any of it, an entire list of most unwarranted deaths in Game of Thrones. But, um, and by the way, I will say, I was talking to, to my wife about this. And she said, okay, is this most, like, the most unwarranted deaths? Or, like, the highest body count of unwarranted deaths. Because if that's the case, then the Red Wedding of Game of Thrones would definitely be number one. But, um, anyways. Hodor, Game of Thrones, that's my number
0: five.
1: Okay. (laughs) Agreed.
0: Thank you! Thank you! Well, I guess it sort of plays into my number five, which is uh, from The Wire, which I think probably has as high of a body count of unwarranted deaths. Uh, It is Wallace, (laughs) the character played by michael b jordan um because yeah, he really was sort of doing the right thing but he was involved with the gangs dealing drugs because he sort of had to he screws things up he accepts counterfeit cash he kind of rolls on the group but uh he i mean he's just one of the many murders in the show that didn't really deserve it like uh i think snoop is probably the other one but he wasn't like michael he wasn't going to become a cold-blooded killer he was just a good kid he was actually helping the other kids not uh you know go toward that kind of life uh I think he was probably the weak link in the organization, but and you understand he probably had to die for what he did, but he didn't deserve to go out like that, because Bodie is a bastard. Wallace, where's String? Wallace is my number five. He, it breaks my heart, because I love Wallace. Everyone loves Wallace. He didn't deserve to die.
2: I need to see the wire.
1: Yeah, yes. I think so far I have the best pick, because I'm the only pick that all three of us understand. Yeah. <laughs> As stupid as my pick was, true. When, when
2: when I when I think of the Wire right now, I think of the scene in Cedar Rapids where Isaiah Whitlock says, "I do a great impression of Omar from The
0: Wire." See, he was like, he wasn't even, and he, he never meets Omar. I don't think in that show. <laughs> <Like>
1: he... <laughs> Zach, number four. Okay, well, my number four is uh, one that I know all all three of us will understand because it's in a movie that uh, we love quite a bit. And that is, let me find his name here. Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, Jun Kunimura as Boss Tanaka in Kill Bill Volume 1. Now, Boss Tanaka (laughs) is one of Oren Ishii's, you know, uh, head honchos in in the uh, mafia that she controls. And he does say some pretty disparaging things about her. Um, and uh, he is fairly, is very disappointed that she is appointed the head. Of, of the mafia um, by making a Chinese-Jap-American half-breed bitch its leader, and then his head gets chopped off. Now, is it justified? Um, did he say something that was really, really bad? Yes, because he insulted her, uh, her, her mixed heritage, but uh, did his head really have to get chopped off and be used as an example? I feel like that's a bit excessive, but you know what? It does make for an entertaining scene, and we could probably make this whole list unjustified or unwarranted killings in Tarantino movies
2: absolutely absolutely that's a good call
1: yeah he's just doing his job yeah you know he's speaking his mind she even says after she kills him that it's okay to to speak your mind except of course you know watch the repercussions of it
0: the topic that was just brought up here
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right
2: my number four uh we are going to star wars for my number four my number four comes from The Revenge of the Sith, and it is the first act of Darth Vader, and that is to kill all the younglings. I mean, it, it, it's like when... That's when D- Star Wars gets dark. I mean, you've got... Yeah, it's... it's Revenge of the Sith is the turning of Anakin into Darth Vader. But really? He had to go kill all the, like, six-year-old kids that are just learning what a lightsaber is? I mean, that make That was just like, why? Why did you have to... You could have just taken their lightsabers and then the, the whole thing is over. I mean, they're just kids. Just don't. And I mean, it, it almost makes me sad that I have to say it because it also led to the to the horrible line from Natalie Portman later on. Obi-Wan says you're killing younglings. And it just, the fact that they're called younglings just kind of makes it feel like, yeah, they might have deserved it because younglings is just a horrible term for kids. But he killed all the kids. So unwarranted. Number four on the list. Yeah. It's hard to Killing argue with that. Killing younglings.
1: One. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. I mean it didn't have to go there. So your your choice is the younglings. <laughs> it's not really one character. And it no. has <laughs> even less screen time than Bostonaka or the train driver. So Okay. Yeah it, 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 yeah,
2: it has like zero screen time, and and yes, it's it's abstract. I, I'm, it's it's I'm, theoretical. It, it's it's a whole like yeah, it, it's it's a horde of of children that I'm qualifying as one character.
0: At least you didn't name all the extras that play the young ones. <laughs> that was
2: that would have been excessive. <laughs> all right, Todd, number four.
0: Uh, my number four is also a very limited screen time. It is Michael McDonald as henchman flattened by steamroller in Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like this represents all henchmen in movies because I want to know the decisions one has to make to become a henchman. Like, he literally is working for evil, but he could have just gotten scolded like Nigel Powers scolds one guy for not having a name tag. Like, I don't know, he's, he's too dumb to not know that a steamroller is going to run him over from 50 yards away, even though it takes, like, two minutes. There's actually a deleted scene I saw that is his wife getting notified that that um, her <laughs> husband got, got ran over by a steamroller, and she has to break the news to um, her son, and it's really kind of sad. Uh, I think that character <laughs> is fascinating, and I speak for all henchmen in saying that they don't deserve to die. Uh, they definitely don't deserve to go out like that. It was a very disturbing scene. You don't even have a name tag on.
2: You have no chance.
0: <laughs> See, he could have just let him run, just like, you know, Charlie Brown. You know, get out of here. Like in Killville. But no, he has to get out of the Oh, he gave him, him every
2: opportunity. He gave him every opportunity to run. <laughs> he could have Get turned. out of the way! He could have tried to turn. <laughs> uh, that's a great call. That's a great call however i would say i mean if he's that stupid that he couldn't get out of the way
0: then he kind of deserved it well yeah and he was helping dr evil but i think he's too dumb to realize it
2: yeah
1: zach number three okay so my number three also uh, ironically enough i'm seeing a theme in this list a character with limited screen time um this is uh, from a movie I know Todd is a fan of because I just looked up his star rating of it. So I'm glad one of us has seen it besides me. And um, that is Patrika Darbo as Pam Magnus in In the Line of Fire. And I I really had to look... Do you do, do you know the character, Todd? I Not by the character's name, though. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize she had a name in the movie. But she is the bank teller that uh, John Malkovich assassinates. Oh. And, uh, because John Malkovich, so, you know, he's this guy who's trying to kill the president, Clint Eastwood's trying to stop him. By the way, John Malkovich's best performance, he should have won Best Supporting Actor in 1993. So, he goes into the bank, and he's opening up a bank account, I can't really remember why, and he's making up a pseudonym so he doesn't get caught, and so the lady's like, okay, well, uh, where, where are you from? And so he makes up, he just says, I'm from uh, Minneapolis, and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm from Minneapolis too! What high school did you go to? And he is—I mean, he could have said any city on the planet, but what are the odds that uh, he would say this—the exact city? So you know, she catches him in a lie. He's a paranoid freak. He's like uh, you know Robert De Niro in Goodfellas when it comes to not—you paranoia about getting detected for his identity. So he traces her down, shoots her in her apartment. She seemed like a nice lady. I don't know. I'm looking at at uh, Patricia Darbo on her IMDb credits. She was in Days of Our Lives. She was a voice of the sheep and of a sheep and babe. And she was also in. Good- Speed 2, curiously enough, I feel like she was robbed of a career. Uh, but you know what? It, it was a pretty unjustified killing.
2: In Speed 2, the truth comes out of why it's on Zach's list.
1: Yes, she played someone called Ruby Fisher in uh, in Speed 2. Do you agree with that pick, Todd? Come on, you you, you like you that know. pick, right? That's pretty unjustified.
0: If it fit if it fit my list, it will, <laughs> like I would like it. But it still, is not what I was thinking with this parameters. But For yours, yes. That is a good pick. (laughs) Thank you.
2: All right. Number three on my list is actually someone with a lot of screen time. And it was someone where you had just this insane moment, and this person was collateral damage. And I really didn't feel like she needed to be. And that is a character of Kai Jung, played by Park So Dam in Parasite. This is the little sister. Good call. I. yeah, she did not need to die in that scene. She did not need to die in the party. I mean, the fact that she's the one that that the crazed maniac comes out and immediately targets is completely random and completely unwarranted and uh, she was possibly the coolest character in that entire movie and killing her did nothing to the plot. Like like it, the plot would have been exactly the same whether she lived or died. And it was completely inconsequential, yet they had to kill her. And it's like the one thing I've always not liked about that movie is the fact that this character didn't make it to the end. Because I she was the best character. She was the coolest character. And and she got just killed so senselessly in at the start of the party scene.
1: Yeah. Okay, so if you bring up an interesting point because... I feel like she's more collateral damage than an actual like murder, like a premeditated, like intentional murder. Like, so to oh, me, but she's definitely murdered. <laughs> well, she's murdered. Right. But again, it's 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 a whole, you know, like scene that's a massacre. So to me, it's like less of an intentional killing. That's also why I left off Ricky from Boys in the Hood, because as tragic a death as that was and as unwarranted as it was, it wasn't really specifically Ricky. They were trying to kill just as it wasn't really Park so damn. But I still like the idea of the pick. And of course, it's a great movie. Anytime oh, yeah, we yeah. can bring a parasite in the podcast, it's worth it.
0: Okay. Todd, number three. Uh, my number three is my uh, pick from a video game. It is from Metal Gear Solid. It's uh, Sniper Wolf. Because she... I don't know. She was like raised by Big Boss... And uh, she never really wanted to kill. She always said that she was just like waiting to get killed. And she sort of has a, has a heart because she was like in a relationship with Otacon, sort of one sided relationship. And she has a bunch of dogs. And in the sniper battle, she gets like clipped and she's just sort of laying there. She probably could have lived and she sort of comes to an understanding with Snake and she probably would have started helping him after that. But I don't, I mean, I don't know. She probably deserved to get killed in a way, but I don't think she deserved to, like, go out, like, with him just, like, taking the silencer off her, his SOCOM and just, like, and just, like, killing her like a, like a wounded dog or something like that. I saw her on a list of, like, characters that didn't deserve to get killed, but you had to, so you did it anyway, and I think that pretty much describes S- Sniper Wolf. I, I've always loved that character, I, th- I wish she would have lived and been on more, on more of, uh, Metal Gear Solid games.
2: So Todd's qualifier for this list is that I couldn't find a list and copy it, yet he's quoting a, fo- a previous list that somebody made well, I, when a he's video putting game. out his list. That was a video game thing. That's different. <laughs> okay, I will say, so I don't have any video games on my list, but in my honorable mention is Metal Gear Solid, but not Sniper Wolf. In my honorable mention is... Meryl or Otacon, depending on how you do in the torture chamber. I mean, the fact that the torture chamber determines whether Meryl or Otacon dies is kind of ridiculous. And completely unwarranted.
0: And completely genius at the same time. It's true. It's true.
2: It's completely genius. Different ending depending on how you do on a specific level, that's awesome.
0: And it... it, it, And then playing the game again, you'll have a different uh, sort of power-up. Thing or not when they power up, I don't know what you call it. Right, yeah.
2: Skill, superpower, I don't know.
1: All right, Zach number two. Okay, my number two is from a movie that I feel like I don't know. At some point in twenty twenty one, we might be talking about it sometime. Um, I just have a inkling about it. The movie is Fargo, and uh the character that I'm talking. A lot of people die unjustifiably in Fargo, but you know what? in keeping with the spirit of my list of, like, random people in one scene who die, I think you know who I'm going to pick. It is uh, Bix Scahill as the night parking attendant. And, you know, he's just, like, sitting there and, you know, enjoying his coffee and he's just enjoying his, his minimum wage job in the parking lot. And Steve Buscemi comes up. And, you know what? Steve Buscemi's a total jerk about it. Like yes when you enter a parking lot and it says that you have to pay money you should have to pay the money it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that he was only there for five minutes and quote- unquote decided to not park there so even beside the killing Steve Bashemi is just in a totally unwarranted unjustified um, position I feel like this could be a debate in a a reservoir dog style debate uh, is is it justified to be able to go into a parking lot for five minutes and then leave and then not pay but either way the the consequences are are grave. Sadly, the guy is never even really talked about later in the movie. I mean, he he dies, but you know what? Frankly, he's like not the big the gravest death in the movie. But uh, he is very unjustified. And and shout out to Bix Scahill, who uh, I don't know if he had much of a career, but but he has a great name. I wonder if his character ever showed up in Fargo, the TV series.
2: No, it isn't. It is an unwarranted killing. It is also an unwarranted pick because you violated the one rule of our power rankings, and that. That's you can't choose Fargo. I thought the rule for yeah. 2021 was we couldn't choose Uncut Gems. Can we change? Well, that back? was the rule for 2020. I, I think I think Fargo and oh, Uncut we're going Gems back to Fargo. are just okay. automatically disqualified. I can think it's of an still in the intro to, to the, the whole segment is you can't choose Fargo ever again. Fargo well, and Uncut Gems are are like forever disqualified. But I well, guess
1: we'll allow it since you forgot. Or I mean, your Todd violated the spirit of the list too in his last pick. So I don't know why I'm any different. <laughs> uh,
2: i I think i think you should have to come up with like an unwarranted death from uncut gems just like on the spot to uh to uh, i think i have one
1: go along with fargo go for it I, I i think it's adam sandler but that might be a too much of a spoiler <laughs> it, well it's either him or
2: arlo i mean those are no sort of... Arno. Arno's unwarranted. I think more than more than than uh, Adam Sandler is. Okay. Uh, we, we warned everybody. Spoiler alert at the beginning of this. Alright, number two on my list uh, is going to another franchise and, uh, and that is Harry Potter. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Hedwig didn't have to die. Yes, I'm talking about Harry Potter's trusty owl that is protecting him as they're flying through the air and this is the scene where there's like all the different uh all the different um harry potters going along and they they all take the take the potion that makes them all look the same and hedwig can't help himself he's got to protect he's got to protect harry and because of it he ends up getting killed and i mean a lot of a lot of people end up dying at the end of harry potter i get it but really the owl you had to kill the owl that had been with him since like the like the beginning of the first book or the first movie is like of everything that happened it's like that one really that one really didn't need to happen you had to kill hedwig i don't think so so that's my number 2
1: good pick Animals always make a good pick. When is it ever justifiable to kill an animal except for Spud in Toy Story? That would have been justifiable.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, every time he gets all of his face knocked off, you could kind of say that he's killed. He's killed several times. Like, RC running him over in the truck, you could say that's a killing. And fully justified. He's just easy to bring back to life.
0: All right. Todd, number two. My number two uh, is David Apolskis from Prison Break, a.k.a. Tweener. Oh, Uh, great call. Because he initially only gets in prison for stealing a baseball card collection, and one of them just happened to be a Hannes Wagner, so it puts it up over the total to be grand larceny and not just, like, normal theft. And... He never really fits in. You always feel bad for him because, like, he more identified with the black guys and the white guys, but there was a bunch of racism in the prison, so that didn't really go over well. And once they're actually out, he kind of gets, like, pushed away from the group because he sort of, like, screwed them over um, before they got out, and Michael knew about that. And he was a younger dude. He was a criminal, but he never deserved to get shot. I I think so many of the the Fox River 8 got more ceremonious send-offs, but tweener got the short end and Mahone's just an asshole. And he decides to gun him down, like and make it look like it was suicide by cop just because, you know, he wouldn't tell them exactly where they were trying to dig up, uh, you know, Westmoreland's treasure. I don't know. Yeah. Tweener was one of the first ones that I thought of. Like he's, he's not a good guy, but damn it. Yeah. He didn't deserve to die like that.
2: It's a good call. That is a great call. Yeah, thank you. I wish I had thought of that, because yeah, Tweener man, you're right. He didn't deserve that.
0: Not at all. That was the first time. The first time he showed any sort of spine is is what got him killed. <laughs> yeah.
2: You you could put Haywire on that list too. He yeah. just wanted to go to Holland and live in a windmill.
0: Yeah. Technically, that was sort of suicide. Spoiler again. well i mean yeah
2: all right
1: zach number one all right so my number one i i made a little bit of an asterisk for because it's not just that the killing was unjustified but it's also that the when the character dies the movie also sort of dies a little bit although it doesn't it doesn't make it any less of, of a great movie it's a movie that Todd once recommended to me, and I think it's the greatest movie that Todd ever made me watch after a trivia contest, and the character who dies in it is a, played by an actor named Nicolas Cage, and it is Eddie's death in Deadfall. Eddie, you know, he is the best part of that movie, okay? I mean, he's like coming in there with the Joker, and he's doing the card tricks for the Michael Beam character, and then he's freaking hes freaking out, he's losing his shit in the bar, and then he actually gets killed. I mean, spoil- this is serious spoiler alert right here, but Michael Beam actually kills him. And I had to look this up because I didn't exactly remember how he died, but he plunges his head into a tub of acid. Um, and then the and then his face uh kind of forms into this kind of bubbling mush. Um and it actually happens like with the, only about like halfway through the movie. The, the, the rest there's still like a whole other 45 minutes of the movie that's left. So so this is like a doubly unwarranted death. Not just the character dying, but but for the fact that the character dies so early in the movie. It's it doesn't it doesn't not make Deadfall a four-star movie, but I would just like a whole movie um with Eddie. By the way, I while looking, while doing my deep research for this. uh uh, todd have you seen the movie arsenal because apparently nick cage reprises the role of eddie in arsenal which is strange because he dies in deadfall do they ever account for that i didn't even realize they were connected
0: (laughs) i think it's the same same cinematic universe
1: (laughs) i have not heard that theory well, his name is, is is Eddie Eddie King, just like it is in uh, Deadfall. So I, I think this needs I think this is worthy of, of a deep dive. Wow,
0: yeah, that was That's one of the worst one. movies that I reviewed of Nicolas Cage. That I didn't I never put that together, but you, <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I probably I think I compared it to Deadfall when I reviewed it.
1: Well, there's a reason why.
0: Damn. Wow. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry I had Mind to spoil blown. Deadfall for you, Terry, but you should still watch it sometime.
2: Oh, I, I kind of figured that that fate might have been coming for him.
1: Okay, that one actually uh, qualifies for
2: my list too. If I if I would have thought of it. <laughs> All right, my number one. Uh, I don't know. It, choosing number one on this list was was really tough. I mean. It it was it was a really Sophie's choice and oh speaking of that my number one is Adrian Kalitka, who plays uh, the son of Sophie who is the one that is not chosen in Sophie's choice. I mean, come on, it's it's I know it gives the like the movie its title but it, it's it's so unwarranted. It's so horrible. Like like if you want to talk about like one of the more horrific moments in movie history the moment where sophie's choice has to be made i mean if there's not if there's a movie if there's a moment that is more unwarranted than that i i don't know what it is so that had to be number 1 as soon as i thought of it I was like oh well yeah that's that's just insane 50-50 odds <laughs> yeah pretty crazy
1: yeah so yeah, well, that Sophie's was a, that was a real buzzkill, Terry. Way to bring up the podcast, Bring up the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's keep talking about Deadfall and you know video games uh, and oh, Sophie's Choice. Well, okay, there we go. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sophie's Choice barely beat out the
0: Owl. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Todd, number one. All right, mine. Uh, this character has gyno uh, gynecomastia... Which means Bob has bitch tits. He gets killed during Operation Latte Thunder, being shot in the head by a stupid security guard because he's slow and because he was wearing a ski mask. He only joins Fight Club and Project Mayhem, really, because he was on steroids and he kind of lost everything and everyone, and he just needs some companionship that is not his testicular cancer group. He becomes somewhat of a martyr. Everyone mourns him. In Project Mayhem, we have no names. In death, we have a name, and his name was Robert Paulson. Well done.
2: Well done. Beautiful. I agree.
0: There's the only answer.
2: (laughs) That's a great pick.
1: All right. Uh, Zach, any honorable mentions? Oh, yes. I definitely have some honorable mentions. Um, (laughs) I have uh, Dennis Hopper in True Romance. That would be like, a. if I was being serious on this this list, that would maybe be my number one. Um, I, we, I know we talked about Lewis and Jackie Brown, but I think we can also talk about the Bridget Fonda and Chris Tucker characters. They really don't deserve to buy. I mean, Beaumont, come on, man. Beaumont was just, you know, he was just getting home and getting high. There's no problem with that. Uh, Sonny Corleone. Donald Kaufman in Adaptation. Um, yes. John, Caz- John Cazale in Dog Day Afternoon. Um, Susie on Seinfeld. Um, who I don't know how they uh, kill off Susie, but there is a funeral for Susie, um, Wilson and Castaway, the Shaolin monk who nods at Pi May and then gets killed leading by, by the five point palm heart exploding technique. Um, Truman's father on the Truman show, but not the movie, the Truman show, the TV series, the Truman show, uh, his death was completely unjustified. Um, Anton, uh, Rakamara, Tony Rakihara from Pulp Fiction, but I was doing some research and apparently he doesn't actually die. He just gets thrown out of a four story window and has a speech impediment, but I was going to put him on the list. It's not a death, but I think it's still, cause it's the feet, you know, come on, just for rubbing, you know, it's not like the holiest of holies. Sure. Oh yeah. And then, uh, finally Jesus and the passion of the Christ.
0: Yeah. I, I was going to predict consider that for Adam's that. list. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all right uh i've got i've got a bunch of honorable mentions here so first two honorable mentions that i would have had on my list if we hadn't like just talked about them within the last month and that's spider from goodfellas and oh it's a combat carl i was thinking about combat um, carl oh yeah, yeah
0: i i thought that was a good one too. i was also thinking of um, miller from time splitters oh we've lost miller because we cause lost miller just because he's basically combat carl
2: it basically is. Um, one of the first ones I thought of uh, that I didn't put on the list simply because I haven't seen the movie, but I've read the book, and that's Primrose Everdeen from Mockingjay Part 2. Um, she had no business dying. Um, and then I've got Brad Pitt and Burn After Reading. Uh, oh, I also had one. Donald Kaufman in Adaptation. Um, I have Bubba from Forrest Gump. Uh, I have The Baby and Mother.
1: Um, <laughs> I have... Dude, you're uh, pretty Ethan, morbid there, Terry. The baby, yeah, yeah. and then the little kid from <laughs> Sophie's Choice? Damn. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, ha- I have Rachel from uh, from The Dark Knight. Um, I have Ethan Shit. Hunt's entire team from Mission Impossible. I mean, you get Emilio Estevez um, oh, and Kristen one. Scott Thomas, and they all die yeah. in the first ten minutes That's of the movie. Good, That's they're pretty... all dead. Dead! They're all dead! Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see here. Uh, then I had an honorable mention of people who Technically didn't qualify for the list, but might have been considered if the, they did. None of these like, people
0: qualified, by the way.
2: <laughs> oh, there they did. Uh, well, these people were like accidental deaths that were unwarranted, Like uh, Bonnie Butler in Gone with the Wind, the daughter. She didn't deserve to die. Uh, or Goose in Top Gun. Wilson in Castaway. I mean, really? We had to see Wilson go. That That was just horrible. And then the last one I'm going to say is not C-3PO in Rise of Skywalker because C-3PO, like it was teased in the trailer the entire time that he was going to like go away one last look at my friends and then we find out that R2-D2 has backed up his entire memory and so he just is, has no idea what's going on for just like 15 minutes and then all of a sudden he's back to normal like that's, that was the worst cop out ever so unwarranted not death is C-3PO
0: I wish we made the same list (laughs) (laughs) I actually have one of Zach's overlaps. I have Sonny Corleone. I have uh, Zach Mazursky in Alpha Dog, which is... Um, oh, yeah. That's uh, Anton one. Yelchin's character. I mean, he could have left at any point. Spoiler uh, alert. Frankie actually gives him, like, the money to go on a bus, but he's like, no, I kind of just want to hang with you guys and, you know, not leave. I don't know. Yeah, but he didn't deserve to get gunned down by Elvis. Uh, Dr. King <laughs> Schultz in Django uh, Unchained. Yeah. Ooh, good call. And from Dexter, I have Ellen Wolf because she was, like, a really bad, she was really bad at her job, but, I mean, I don't know. Like, she, like, the, what's that guy's name? <laughs> I'm, I'm blanking on the, the serial killer. Are, are you year. talking
2: about Charlotte Rampling?
0: No. No, this no. is a, the uh, Jimmy Smith's year. What's, well, I can't remember his name. Oh. But either way. Oh, I oh,
2: mean, oh, um, yeah.
0: He kills her just because, you know, she wasn't, uh, letting the cases go his way or something like that. She was a bad lady, but man, she didn't deserve to. She didn't deserve that fate. What the hell is his name?
2: <laughs> I thought about putting Charlotte Rampling on the list. I didn't. think I thought that was pretty unnecessary. Um. Yeah. What is his name? Um.
0: Miguel Prado.
2: M- I was gonna say something Prado.
0: Miguel Prado's want... brother, by the way, too probably. And Freebo Everybody in that season, really. <laughs>
2: uh okay all right well now it is time to predict adam's list which feels pretty impossible like like
1: we've already said all right zach what's your prediction all right i went tommy devito and goodfellas ryan reynolds and buried leonardo dicaprio and the departed the dog in john wick and a character who dies in Nightcrawler. I don't remember who dies in Nightcrawler, but he's said that movie for like the last five power rankings, so I'm guessing <laughs> Nightcrawler will be on the list.
2: All right. Um, I, I've got a list of, yeah, that, that's a list of peop- people that nobody has said yet, and I've got the same except I have one overlap with what, Adam, or what Zach just predicted. So my number five is Leonardo DiCaprio in The Departed. Uh, number four, Gwyneth Paltrow in Seven. Uh, number three, Marvin in Pulp Fiction. Uh, number two, Snoke in The Last Jedi. And number one is Robb Stark in Game of Thrones. Marvin was not
0: intentionally killed. But he was shot in the face. I mean, that he's killed. Yeah. I don't know. Well, mine are predicted if he was doing the list my way. Uh, <laughs> number five is Glenn in The Walking Dead. Number four, Danny Vineyard in American History X. Number 3 Kylo Ren in The Rise of Skywalker, number 2 John Marston in Red Dead Redemption, and number 1 Sullivan, which is Matt Damon's character in The Departed.
1: But he's he's the bad guy in the movie. How is that Exactly, that's the point of the list. That is the
0: literal <laughs> point of the list. <laughs> apparently you guys didn't understand that and didn't we come up with the list we
1: needed more time to come up with the parameters for this list apparently you know two weeks wasn't yeah, but, enough
0: yeah yeah okay so Sullivan was a bad character like he's a bad guy he works for the bad guy but that's the point of the list but did he really deserve to get shot right when he did no probably not at no point All is right. Leo bad
1: I just want to know whether the rat started chewing on his body or not or whether it just scurried off into the wall
0: probably ate the food that he dropped
1: yeah that's true too
2: all right here's the list honorable mentions we have uh danny witwer played by colin farrell in minority report it's a good Uh, one the pizza guy from phone booth that's a good one uh jack dawson played by leonardo dicaprio in titanic he wasn't killed Uh, nope he was not you're right (laughs) uh tracy the mother in how i met your mother uh, Sam the Dog in I Am Legend Finnick in Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 and Thomas J in My Girl Again not
1: not ki- not murdered
2: <laughs> Yeah okay but not I think yet. I think the re- I think his actual top 5 qualifies for the most part okay uh, <laughs> So they num- definitely aren't going to be uh, Honestly up I don't know about all of them I think they do Anyways number 5 is uh Shireen Baratheon from Game of Thrones this was a great one, by the way. Her father, Stannis, ordered his people to burn his daughter at the stake because the Red Witch saw a vision in a fire. This act was supposed to give his army victory. However, he ended up losing and actually died himself. That is a beautiful pick. That, is, that might be... That, that's better than Hodor. That should have been my number five. Uh, number four, John Coffee in the Green Mile. Wrongly accused of raping and murdering two children was out to death for his crime. Uh, We find out later who actually committed the crime, but sadly there isn't any evidence left at the scene. It's a heartbreaking moment in this film. Michael Clark Duncan gives a powerful performance and is surely missed on our screens. I mean, he's killed intentionally. I mean...
0: (laughs) Still does not qualify at all. Well, I mean, that one qualifies more than the first one, but I don't know.
2: Number three, Aerith Gainsborough from Final Fantasy VII. (laughs) The death of Aerith... Uh, is now has now become one of the Final Fantasy franchise's most tragically notorious moments, and it's easy to see why. It is unexpected, brutal, and happens to someone who in no way deserves it. The fact that this moment was able to elicit such strong emotional responses through visual and auditory cues alone is a further testament to its narrative power. Alright, Final Fantasy, whatever. Okay. I at least uh, had a video game. Number two is Private Mellish from Saving Private Ryan. Uh, You may not recognize his character by name, but he was a Jewish-American private in the squad of soldiers sent to rescue Private Ryan in this movie. He was a funny but tough character who provided a lot of great side commentary throughout the film. His death was horrible because it could have likely been avoided had Corporal Upham uh, had the courage to save his life. I'm just happy that Upham found his courage by the end of the movie and took out that German. I mean You're you're in war. I mean I, I kinda get it, but
1: this
2: is I don't I don't remember that character. <laughs> this is going downhill real quick. Uh, and number one is Newt and Hicks from Alien Three. This is easily the worst unwarranted death. We come we came to love both of these characters from Aliens. However, Alien Three went through production hell with several rewrites. So they eventually decided to start the movie with the shuttle crash landing on this planet and just saying the simple line of Newton Hicks died in the crash. Couldn't even last five minutes into the movie like WTF. Wow. Okay. Um, I think I win because I at least said he would have Game of Thrones on the list.
1: I said he would have a video game. <laughs> but I, I think you lose points, Terry, because his character from Game of Thrones was better than your choice. You even admit that. I, I do admit that. That that well,
2: I also said that this entire list could have been Game of Thrones characters. Like you could have just done five, four, three, two, one, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones characters.
1: I think that Terry wins, wins it, because T- Todd and I probably shouldn't collaborate on a list like this ever again. <laughs> I I find it funny that the list you collaborated on is
2: the list that we had the most disagreement on what the list actually meant. <laughs> I mean, I thought I was pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> unwarranted murders. I mean, I thought that all. I mean, Thomas J. Adam obviously isn't, did... <laughs>
0: isn't every rant like random person who gets killed in a movie unwarranted. Like, of course they don't deserve to die. Of course, every Ross think Matt Damon doesn't to deserve to Departed. get murdered, right? But she did. But are you going to put her on the list? No. That's a stupid list. Every serial killer kills characters. Like, yeah, th- all of those are unwarranted. It's a dumb Anyways. list. You guys made dumb lists. That was not <laughs> the point. I thought I made a good list.
2: I didn't... All right. I had... The, the only one, I, I, I guess two of my picks were don't qualify for you. But the other three are all characters that were around for a long time and are like, why did they have, they didn't
0: need to die. No, they have to be, a, they have to at least be involved in something bad to make it justify that they actually would have something bad happen to them. Not, <laughs> but not necessarily deserve to get shot in the head or something. That's the yeah, whole point of the yeah. list.
1: You're on a that completely was the different, different way literal point on. of...
0: That was exactly what we talked about. But whatever. <laughs> that all I got was unwarranted murders. And, uh, but wouldn't you and agree I most think... that most characters who get killed in a movie are unwarranted?
1: No. Yes! Know. So we're not talking
0: about the most unwarranted. <laughs> that's not... Okay.
2: <laughs> Alright. Let's move on. I win? I think that's what we're saying? I win? Yeah. What's the name of this game? I win!
0: Congratulations on point number 16.
2: In the game where the points don't matter. Yes, thank you. I get to pick a list next time. Alright, let's move on. Trivia time. Are you ready?
1: Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face.
0: This is going downhill quick. Trivia.
2: I won trivia. I don't think we've mentioned that yet, but I I actually did mention it at the beginning of this podcast. I won trivia. So I got to assign movies to Todd and Zach to watch. Uh, We're going to go to Zach first. Tell us all about what you had to watch.
1: So I had to watch um, Tombstone, the famous, wonderful 1993 movie directed by George P. Cosmatos. And I feel like this movie had every single um, male actor from the 1990s in it. I mean, it had like <laughs> Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Bill Paxson, Sam Elliott, Jason Priestley. Um, yeah, anyone that. Thomas Aiden Church? Thomas Hayden as Jack. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so, and it's also like, like, so. It's a very early 90s movie. It's it's sort of, a, a, I guess, like a classic early 90s movie, but that somehow had eluded me for many years. Um, it tells the story of uh the uh very famous um or infamous um friendship between Wyatt Earp the lawman from Kansas and his brothers as they travel to Tombstone, Arizona and befriend the dying um, but still virulent uh, Doc Holliday played by Val Kilmer and Wyatt Earp is played by Kurt Russell. When I was growing up, I was aware of this movie, but I always got it confused with Wyatt Earp, the Kevin Costner movie that came out at the same time. It's kind of like an Ants or Bugs Life type thing. They came out at the exact same time. I could never know which one was which. Um, I guess I'm glad I saw Tombstone though, because I I won't forget now which one is which I thought this movie was like laughably terrible. I, I, I see that on our website, Terry had it as his number eight movie of 1993. Like it is so over the top. Um, it, 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 there's no like, uh, you know, uh, gray area of the characters. Um, the, the friendship between Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday is just like silly. The, The makeup job on Val Kilmer in this movie, my goodness, man, how much, how jaundiced can you look um I really started tapping out uh, at the midway point I really started tapping out when Charlton Heston made an appearance in this movie the music is so over the top and just outrageous uh Man, Terry, a part of the problem with this movie is that it tells the this was already made as a better movie and that movie was called My Darling Clementine with Henry Fonda, which is one of the great all-time westerns, which also tells the story of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday teaming up to fight the Ringo Kid. This version, by comparison, is just so, like, gaudy. It represents everything about movies I hate. It's like a half-star movie. I can't there's nothing there's nothing that I like about this movie really at all, except for the Thomas Hayden Church appearance because it was a reminder that at one point he'd made movies other than Sideways. This is probably the type of role that Jack might have played in the in the in the cinematic universe of Sideways, and it's just it's just sad. The whole movie's sad. But your wife loves the movie. Right? yeah and, and apparently you do too you, it's your number eight movie of nineteen ninety three but uh i i don't like westerns generally and, and I especially hate westerns with loud music um because you know you're not intellectually capable of understanding uh what what's a scary part of the movie or what's a sad part of the movie, so the music just has to play uh super loud so you uh get it uh so you get the idea i i hated it I, what do you like about this movie Terry what's have you seen it recently? Rating? Oh, I, I, half, half Star. I hated it. It's one of the worst movies half of the 90s. Half Star? Yes. Worst movie of the 90s. I defy the, anyone to watch this movie and think it's better than The Prom. Or The Prom is better than this.
2: Oh, not I, that I've seen I The Prom. I think this movie's awesome. I think Val Kilmer oh, is like terrible. one of the most quotable characters of the 90s as Doc Holliday in this. I mean, I quote him all the time. I'll be our Huckleberry. Oh, if we're not friends, I don't think I could
1: bear it. I, I love this movie. It's, it's amazing. Should, Doc Holiday should have been played by Johnny Depp or a young Brad Pitt. That would have made this movie infinitely more watchable. As it is, Val Kilmer is bland in this movie. His accent is lame. His makeup is terrible. And he has no screen presence whatsoever.
2: Now, I haven't seen My Darling Clementine. So maybe if I see that, but I don't know. I think you're crazy. I love this movie. Todd, you've seen Tombstone.
0: I mean, I've never really been a fan either. I think I've seen it maybe one and some change, but I don't. I, I don't. I don't really like it necessarily either. I but I do like Val Kilmer in it. I think. I think he's. I think he's fun to watch. But when I, back when I watched it, I was like really into you know Batman Forever and stuff. So.
1: <laughs> all right. All right. Did you well, really think I was gonna like it? Like, did you really no, think, oh, this really. is Louis Zach's gonna like? This is right up Zach's alley.
2: <laughs> well, I gave you like a choice of three different movies, and you said I'll watch Tombstone because my wife loves it, and it was and for so it was I the only one
1: that was for free. Also,
2: I, I thought I thought there'd be a little bit of sympathy for a uh, uh, a little sympathy boost from you know the wife uh, enjoying the movie. So
1: I think that made it worse that she likes it.
2: Oh well, okay. Duly noted for the future.
0: All right. Todd, what about you? Uh, I'm really curious to hear what
2: you have to say about this So one. I watched
0: <laughs> That's Entertainment, the 1974 documentary by Jack Haley Jr., uh, who is the son of the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, evidently. Uh, wow. It is the first in a series of documentaries where the stars of some of MGM's most famous movies come out and celebrate and analyze it. The most important musicals that come out uh, throughout the company's catalog i'm not really sure how to review this i don't really know how this is a movie it feels more like a tv special or like a really long dvd special feature on a musical box set or something i can't imagine actually watching it in a theater or but it's fun to highlight like the creativity of some of these movies and uh, the geniuses that define the golden age of hollywood But it's really just, like, a collection of scenes and with no real organization to them. They just keep, like, introducing the next person and then they talk about another series of movies or something. It's kind of weird. I don't think it's necessarily nostalgic or informative, but it, it is sort of fun to watch because it's a celebration of a style of filmmaking that isn't really viable anymore. But you can see the innovation and, like, the impact and, like, the joy that the movies had and that they brought and, like, how crazy some of the performers were. I, I think they should have done it with other genres. Like, I saw that they actually have a porn version of this called That's Erotic. Now, that is what I'm talking <laughs> about. But I think yes. the closest thing we have to this is Eli Ross' History of Horror, which is actually a podcast and a TV show, which I think would be better than a theatrical release. But either way, I mean, I, I did have fun, like, watching the movie or at least looking at it. I, get, I'm, I guess I'll give it three stars.
2: Yeah, I... So... One thing that I, I actually turned this on a little bit, too. So, Todd, when I sent him this, he said that was really random. Um, however, the reason why I asked him to watch it is because this is what TCM plays every New Year's Eve. They play a marathon of all the That's Entertainment movies. And uh, and it's, it's kind of become part of the tradition of New Year's for us here as we watch a little bit of That's Entertainment. And so whenever we're, like, in between stuff is we throw on That's, That's Entertainment. We get to watch some cool dance numbers and things like that. This was a box office hit, apparently, in 1972. Um, well, yeah, there were two sequels. Th- ni- well, three, wait, was oh, it 70, yes.
0: 72 or 74? I don't remember. 74, 74 and then was 74. like 76. And then
2: 76, yeah. So two years later, they threw another one together two years later. Um, and that one's really cool. I don't. Did you just watch the first one? Yeah. So the second one is really cool because it is hosted entirely by Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. And to see them together hosting together is really cool and then they did the third one is like 1994 and it was like the last thing gene kelly did on screen which is pretty cool um and that one i would say has the best moment of any of them where it shows side by side um a uh, a fred astaire dance number of his practice session and his actual recording that made the movie in one of his films and they are literally identical, move for move, step for step, motion for motion, and just showed just how much of a perfectionist Fred Astaire was. Um, now I, I I love all the all the old MGM musicals. I love the dance numbers. I love the innovation that it shows in those, and uh, and how how much was done during that time. And so yeah, I well, love it.
0: Gene Keller's my guy. I, lo- I loved his part. My favorite part was when Jimmy Stewart was on there, and he's like. <laughs> Yeah, we used to make movies like this all the time in the '30s. Honestly, none of them were really all that good, but they were really popular. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah,
2: <laughs> that makes sense." And and I love how much he he's just like,
0: and and somehow they got me into one of these movies. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Watch this. This guy is totally uncomfortable <laughs> doing this role, but you know, this is what people wanted to watch at the time." Yeah, yeah, uh. Now, Zach,
2: I know you've seen that's entertainment, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's been a while, but it is it's certainly fun and it's it's worth remembering that in 1974 people didn't really have access to these old clips. I mean, there right. wasn't YouTube yeah. and there wasn't TCM back then, so I'm sure for that generation this movie would have been a, a much m- much more appreciated than maybe it is today. Yeah, it was weird this year watching
2: TCM because usually they have like all all the hosts of TCM get together and like toast the new year with champagne watching these movies together and this year it was just Ben Minkowitz at home and it was kind of awkward but um but it, it it's cool i've i've actually got um so they did the three sections and then they have that's dancing and i've got that on the DVR downstairs and i'm i'm planning on watching that one soon so uh just to add to You're the not going to watch I the think the, they're por- fun. They're the porn fun. version Terry?
1: Uh, that sounds probably fun. not <laughs> I'm sure Ben Manquitz is at home alone for that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hot
2: take. Okay, well let's get into let's get into trivia. Okay, so um, I've got I've got honestly I have four categories here. We'll see how if we get to all probably only going to get to two, maybe
0: three. The third one is going to be. a a We'll see these these categories always go way shorter than you plan.
2: Yeah, I know. I know they do. Okay, the first one you guys are going to hate. Uh so, uh we are in, in the new year, we're starting 2021 and I mean, we don't necessarily talk about this, but technically this is the start of the new decade, right? Because because there was no year 0, so 2021 is the start of the 20s. And so I am I am asking you first off uh to name all of the movies currently listed on our website that start with a number in the twenties. There are, (laughs) see, I told you guys, I told you we're going to hate this. There are 17 movies
1: on our website right now. So does it have to be a number in the twenties or can it be a number that starts with two zero or
2: it has to be a number in the twenties.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: So, a number between 20 and 29. And it has to be, like, numerical. It can't be all, like, spelled out or anything like that. So, um, a movie on our website right now that one of us has seen that is in the 20s. There are, like I said, there are 17 movies on this list. Just to remind everybody, Zach currently has a 4-2 lead in trivia because of our (laughs) football trivia that we did to start this podcast. So, uh we're starting with Todd on this category
0: 21 up
2: uh 21 up is correct (laughs) 28 up 28 up is correct as well 20 go figure about that 25th hour 25th hour is correct
1: so the number 23 doesn't count the number Even though that is a number 20. Count. It is a number in the 20s that is on our website, but okay. But what it does up? not start the name of the movie. Fine. Uh, 21.
2: 21 is correct. 21 Jump Street. 21 Jump Street is oh, correct.
1: You want to play that game? I'll play that game. 22 Jump Street.
0: 22 Jump Street is also correct. 27 dresses.
2: 27 Dresses is correct. Uh,
0: 24 Hour
2: Party People. 24 Hour Party People is Oh, that's a movie. On...
1: What, what the hell? Todd, how have you not seen that movie? I haven't seen it either. So. <laughs> I probably it's a movie, it. though.
2: <laughs> Nobody's seen 24 Hour Party People. It's a real movie. Todd, Todd, do you have any others? Uh,
0: 21 Grams. 21
2: oh, Grams yeah. is
0: correct. Good one. Good call. Do you have any more? I'm thinking, uh, there's like a, I don't even know what the number is. It's like twenty, twenty-one 21 bridges. 21 bridges with Chadwick Boseman. That's is correct. I, I can't believe I picked the number right. <laughs> I was thinking like 16 blocks and I was like, that's not it. No, it's, it's, I don't know. I uh, That's all I got.
1: How about 29 Listen poems? is pretty good. Is that on there? Nope. No Okay. That's All right, movie. we
2: have here are the ones you didn't get. You didn't get twentieth-century women, uh, twenty-one and over, uh, twenty-one years. Richard Linkletter, uh, twenty-two July, the twenty-fourth, twenty-seven gone too soon, and then the series: twenty-eight days later, twenty-eight weeks later. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: All right, here is our next category, and this is going to Zach first. Uh, so we are into. 2021, the year 2021. And so we are asking now, can you name all of the people who were nominated for an Oscar when they were 21 years or younger? So, and then actors. Actors that were nominated for an Oscar at the age of 21 or younger. Male just male male female leading oh, okay. supporting um and uh and also it's it's how many times so like uh people might pop up on this list more than once So you have to say the name and the movie what you have to say the movie yes oh screw but that if you can if you can how about how about an extra point if you say the movie so you get two points if you can say both the, the actor and the movie uh, one point, if you can just say the actor. There are, this has happened 30 times. 30 times has an actor been nominated for an Oscar uh, f- when they were 21 or younger.
1: Okay, and you want me to okay. start? Zach, you're first. Justin Henry for Kramer versus Kramer.
2: Justin Henry for Kramer versus Kramer, so you get two points, and he is the youngest ever to be nominated for an Oscar at, not, at eight years old. Abigail Breslin, Little Miss Sunshine. Abigail Breslin, Little Miss Sunshine is also correct.
1: Uh, Ten years old. Haley Joel Osment for The Sixth Sense.
2: Haley Joel Osment was 11 when he was nominated for The Sixth Sense. Correct. Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon. Tatum O'Neill, Paper Moon was 10. Correct.
1: Gouvenjane Wallace for Beasts uh, uh, Beasts of Southern Wild. I was gonna say piece of nomination. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Wrong
2: one. She was she was nine when she was nominated. That's correct.
0: Uh Brandon DeWilde for Shane.
2: Whoa. Brandon DeWilde for Shane was eleven years old when he was nominated, correct?
0: Shane. Shane.
2: <laughs> uh, Patty Duke for the Miracle Worker. She was 16, correct. Uh um, yeah
0: yeah um Uh I don't know if it's right. Lucas Hedges, Manchester by the Sea? Lucas he Hedges
2: be- was twenty years old, correct. Linda Blair for the Exorcist. Linda Blair for the Exorcist is incorrect. What? She is not on the list. Oh, but I don't know how old she was. You can look it up, but she was not on the list. Oh, we're looking
1: that up. That <laughs> I don't know where you got that from, Terry. But that is
2: well. I know she, she was, was nominated, was, but she, she was older. Four,
1: 14 years old. She was born fifty nine. Movie comes out in seventy three. I need a point. I need two points for that shit.
2: Wait a second. Really?
1: Yeah. She was, this here. she was nominated for fifty nine. Nominated for Best Supporting Actress
0: Man. in '73. How did that not pop up on my list? That's weird. That's why you need to stop looking up lists <laughs> before we do power rankings, Terry.
2: All right, all right. I should get three points I, for that shit.
1: I thought Outsmarted I had the this. host. I,
2: I don't know how that didn't happen. Okay, so Zach gets the two points. Okay, Linda, Linda Blair for The Exorcist. That's bizarre. I don't know how I missed that. Okay,
0: Anna Paquin.
2: Anna Paquin for, for the piano. What? For the piano, that that is correct.
1: She was 11. Saoirse Ronan for Atonement.
2: Saoirse Ronan for Atonement is... Where did she go? I know she's on here
0: somewhere. Uh, there she is. She was 13, correct. I want to say Kira Knightley in Pride and Prejudice. She had to be like right around that 21. She
2: was 20, that is correct.
1: Marley Matlin and Children of a Lesser God. She was 21. That is correct. Jennifer Lawrence. Winner's Bone.
0: Jennifer Lawrence was 20. Correct. Quinn Cummings for the Goodbye Girl. What? Is that a real person?
2: Quinn Cummings for the Goodbye Girl was 10 years old when she was nominated. Correct. By the way, each response you guys get is uh, putting the other one ahead. So Zach is currently ahead by
0: one. I can't believe that actually was a real answer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: 1977, Todd, it's to
0: you. I, I'm. Adrian Brody, the pian- pianist.
2: No, I think he was 24, 25, somewhere in there. Zach, do you have any more? Jackie Cooper for the champ. Jackie Cooper for the champ is not on. Oh no, wait. I have Jackie Cooper, but not for the champ.
1: So do I get a point? I'll give
2: you one I'll give you one point.
1: Okay.
2: I have Jackie Cooper for Skippy. Ah, okay. Uh and since you got something, I'll let you keep going if you if you want. Uh if You have anything else?
1: Uh There's some
2: big ones you missed. How many are left? Uh 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 15 left. Yeah, you got I, half the
0: list. I have another one now, too. All right, huh. well, Zach won, so go ahead, Todd. Wait, he won. Well, well like, no, but I, I can get more category. points, Oh, right?
2: well, I, I do have... Well, he, he's up... I, I'll, I'll let Todd back in, because you only got half of it. Let's say that.
0: Keisha Todd. Castle-Hughes for the Whale Rider? Yep,
2: that's one. Zach, do you have any more?
1: Um. Timothy Hutton for Ordinary People.
2: That is correct. He was 20.
0: I'm going to say Mickey Rooney for something.
2: Mickey Rooney for something is correct. He was nominated for Babes
0: in Arms in 1939 at the
2: age of 19. So you get a point. Zach. (sighs) Yikes. (laughs) You guys are doing really good on this list. It makes me happy that I didn't pick a, a... a bad one this time
1: i don't know i'm pretty much out uh winona Ryder, i don't think that's right though
2: nope that's not right todd do you have anything else <laughs> no i really don't <laughs> okay well if, with a score of uh 26 to 25 uh we're gonna say zach wins uh here are and i'll i'll get the other list at a different time here's who you missed uh the youngest one you missed at 10 years old mary Batum for to kill a mockingbird Scout I had that um, written down I didn't think
1: she was nominated though
2: <laughs> Patty McCormick for the bad seed mm. in 1956 mm. uh, Benita Granville for these three in 1936 uh, was 14 how about Haley Steinfeld for true grit she was 14 Jody Foster for taxi driver she was 14 14 jeez um, Jack Wild for Oliver he was 16. Uh, Sal Mineo in Rebel Without a Cause was 17. Uh, River Phoenix in Running on Empty was 18. How about Leonardo DiCaprio for What's Eating Gilbert Grape? He was 19. Um, Isabel Ajani in The Story of Adele H. in 1975 was 20. Um, Ellen slash Elliot Page in Juno was 20. And Saoirse Ronan in Brooklyn was 21.
0: Wow, I was not going to So she that. was nominated twice,
2: <laughs> the only one to be
0: nominated twice. on.
2: Uh, so that's why that's under. the
0: only reason you said that, is because she was nominated twice. It's
2: because she was nominated twice, yeah. You guys did really well. I'm impressed. Okay, so Zach wins. So Zach gets to sign us movies. Zach gets to host trivia next time. And Zach gets our first quote of the day. Go for it, Zach.
0: Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of
2: the day.
1: Well, my quote comes from my number one unwarranted, unjustified death, which I, at least Todd agrees with my pick, so we can agree on that. Um, he, it's, uh, he says, tell you what, if it's a high card, I tell you who I am. But if it's a low card, you tell me who you are. Is that a deal? And that's all I got. Yes. <laughs>
2: nice,
0: nice. Todd, what do you got? Uh, so mine comes from uh, this TV show I love called The League. And I bought myself the <laughs> box set of it. Episode 1, Pete, which is the character played by Mark Duplass, says, There are many things a man can do with his time. This is better than those things. And that's how I feel about this podcast.
2: Very nice. And Very fantasy nice. football. Kind of. And fantasy folk. <laughs> my face. It's going to be a thing. <laughs> yes. The offline social media network. All right. So, uh, so my quote of the day. So this comes from, this was inspired by something that was uh, going around on Twitter this week. And that was, uh, describe 2020 uh, with a GIF from your favorite movie. And so my favorite movie is Apollo 13. And so I, I could have gone really, really easy and gone, Houston, we have a problem. I feel like that, that could have applied quite well. But I, I did a little bit more digging and found an even better one. And it was a, a picture of Jim Lovell talking to his son over breakfast. And it just said, a lot of things went wrong. And, uh, and I thought that was like the perfect one for 2020. So that got me thinking about 2020 in the same way. And so how would I describe 20, or 2021? How would I describe 2021 in the same way? So,
1: don't say successful failure.
2: Gentlemen, what are your intentions? <laughs> let's fix the prob fix the problem. Let's not make things worse by guessing. We don't need the whole Bible, just a couple of chapters. Keep in mind that we are on step number 8 and we don't have to worry yet about step number 692. 2020 may have just been our glitch for this mission. So let's take that pig for good luck. And eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros. 2021 is all we got left, Jack. Uh, things may be a little blurry because we haven't gotten as much sleep as we thought. So let's just take things one at a time, Jack, to make sure that the flowers are no longer blooming in Houston. So, cheers. That was a that was a hell
1: of a show. Uh,
2: <laughs> there's there's your quote, inspired by Apollo 13. So with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then,
0: have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the
2: flip side.
1: Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together. All that time and effort into that, and you didn't get Linda Blair in The Exorcist.